Are you hearing that? Yes. All right. Is that sounding yes. better? Is that sound like a microphone? It's sounding, yes, a very radio-ish <laughs> Oh, <sound>. okay. <laughs> good. It's good. Okay. Good. I think we sorted it. I, I went from a $3,000 interface to a $300 interface, and now we're fine. So. <laughs> that's the first lesson. Yeah, that's right. Always downgrade. When, uh -huh. in, when, when you have technological issues, always downgrade. Always downgrade. That's right. It's always the simple solution. Nice. Are well, you, by the way, using... Uh, Go ahead. I'm good. I'm good. No, I was going to ask about the... Um, because you're using an SM7, do you have like um, one of those boxes you put in between that? I do. Is... I have a cloud lifter. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Do you find it actually just for for selfish reasons? Uh, does it does it help significantly or do anything? Um, I it does crank it a bunch because um, mm -hmm. otherwise I remember I haven't unplugged it from this thing in like five years. So. Uh, I do know when I wasn't using it, I really had to juice it um, to get what I wanted. But yeah, um, yeah I couldn't tell you now. Who knows? Yeah. No, no, I'm sure because so many people, you know, I swear stay, by it. Yeah. Are you, yeah. Are, you, are you implying that the audio gear community might be selling snake oil from time to time? <laughs> <laughs> no, they wouldn't do that. They Nobody would never would do, do that. that. They would In never. any industry, especially this one. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, it's it's your morning, man. How you how are you? I'm good. Uh, I mean, I woke up at three thirty. Uh, it's my second day in a row doing that, man. And uh, yeah, but it's 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 good. You get a lot of stuff done. Although I will I will be sleeping the 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 next night pretty well, I presume, and for a long time. Hopefully, what's your what's your bedtime then? Do you have uh, a one? Uh, I mean, it's it's been shifting now because our kid is uh, he's like a year and a half now. Oh, okay. So, you're you're way in it. Yeah, you're. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, before, like when he was still like a baby, it would be, I would Anytime. go to sleep at eight, pretty much like eight p.m., yeah. and then I would wake up at five. That so that, that sounds that would, right. Yeah. But now, now it's been shifting because he he goes to bed probably an hour later. So about seven p.m. p.m. he falls asleep, and then uh, I need usually and maybe two hours after that I go. <laughs> but it's yeah. yeah, it's been shifting a bit bit more. I uh, I have two, a six year old and a three year old, so I know that routine well. I know the chaos yeah. it brings into your life. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. So, I'm sure. Much respect. Yes. Way to go. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh mm -hmm. hasn't been easy. I mean, especially the beginning was a bit tough with with all the the heart attacks and stuff like that, but but oh, um yeah, I don't know about that stuff. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, he he was born in uh August, like late August and then mm -hmm. late September. I basically short story is I've had some mysterious health issues for years and then basically all the sleep deprivation because i was already like i knew that if i lost my sleep i would probably be in trouble but i i didn't know how much trouble but basically yeah in, in late september i started having weird pains um 
here sort of under my collarbone and turns out they were heart attacks and then they had to do i think it's called uh, an angioplasty so uh -huh. they basically went into the arteries and i had one complete blockage almost complete oh, wow. blockage there so so they had to open it up and i was basically in pretty you know rough shape for the next half year so it was pretty yeah. pretty tough but uh, yeah wicked. yeah it's it's weird they don't they don't know why why because this is a really like i was 32 at, at the time mm -hmm. so they it's uh very strange to have it this early this early yeah yeah i have my family has a big history of uh heart problems my grandfather's had four um and uh so it's definitely in my genes and um thankfully i haven't had one but i i was having you're talking about sleep deprivation about two and a half years ago or three uh i was having massive sleep deprivation and then just it was like a cascade of health problems just started dropping on me and um it's a, yeah, it was a harrowing feeling. I'm I'm sure that you had the. It sounds like you had a similar experience. Like, it uh, without the sleep, it gets grim fast. Yeah, yeah, and I I knew that already from experience. Like trying to trying to be an entrepreneur and do stuff and wake up earlier, but I just feel the lack of sleep really really heavy and really fast. Mm. So it's it's like uh, I can't compromise on that um yeah yeah but, but yeah that's why sleep is is in, is important but for me it's like surreal it's to me it's surreal to think about people who can just get by with like i don't know six hours or whatever oh, like man. it's not that i big used of a deal. to though it, it used to not be a big deal for me it was like a lifestyle i i was proud of my five hours of sleep and i could still function and and then at some point I'm I'm 38, so I'm a little older than you, but um, yeah, my body just said, uh-uh, nope, that's not going to work anymore. Not anymore. And, uh, yeah, you're going to have to start taking care of yourself. And I was like, oh, oh shoot. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and with kids, as I'm as I'm sure you well understand, uh, you know, like the amount of hours that you can commit to work and creativity are pretty limited, or or at least have to be very specific. Um. Whereas in my twenties and stuff, I was just frittering away time <laughs> like it was nothing. And so I used to I used to make up for it like by staying up later, um, when we as the kids were getting up. Cause once they went to bed, then it was like, Oh sweet, I can get in like several hours of good work here. And then that has tapered off big time. So I used to yeah, I used to be like one AM, two AM pretty good, because that would be like power hours um did yeah, you find starts going yeah but did, did, did you find that um because I, I i'm pretty sure i could do that as well but the problem mm -hmm. would be to kind of taper down so that you can calm down for sleep so did Same. you find so that was a was an issue big issue yeah because you're all lit up right you're you're just yeah. like activated and I get that when I come home from a show too, if I'm playing, it takes me a long time to come down. I'm sure. Um, and it's funny cause it's not even, it won't even be like, you know, 
from drinking or anything like that. It's just like nerves just get, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, the the shows you do, all the lights, all the everything, like it's a huge show. So, I mean, it's it's, it's meant uh, to stimulate you, yeah. Stimulation, it's tons of stimulation, yeah. It's funny because I'm so calm in a lot of those things now because I've done them for so long. Like, so part of my brain's like, ah, live TV, whatever. Yeah, it's fine. This is just play the songs. But there's another part of my body that all I can witness being uh, activated and stimulated that's uh, separate. It's like the, I think it's the logic brain and like the animal brain. I can, with the logic brain, I can watch the animal brain be like, and my logic brain's like, everything's fine. What's, yeah, it's uh, the, what's going on over there? <laughs> the, the nervous system. The I don't know if it's like the sympathetic or parasympathetic, but basically all the, you know, the 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 animal side of you is still lit, lit up. up. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's one of the I'll things that I, I still struggle, struggle with because I I I find myself mentally pretty calm most of the time, but then just kind of wired <laughs> wired up physically mm-hmm. otherwise um yeah yeah you you seem very i mean i i'm just getting to know you marcus but uh yeah you seem very even in uh your your in, in your videos and whatnot like that so um yeah i try yeah, to when, be it, when you it's... hear hear that the brain is tickling or you know the animal part is still anxious or lit up that's a it's good to note yeah yeah. Well, I mean, for, for me, it's, it's, it's the, all the unconscious physical stress that accumulates or, or the, the physical stress response. Cause I can, I can notice if I get stressed mentally very easily, like I'm super sensitive to that, which is why I need to have all of my stuff in good order pretty much all the time, because otherwise it just like, if I have any issues with like relationships or anything like that, uh, it, it eats, eats me alive very quickly. Um, but, uh, yeah, one of the things I've, I've struggled with is cause I, I love working out, um, a lot. <laughs> it, it, it's a lot of fun, but it obviously, um, gives you stress and it accumulates. And even though I love working out, there's mm-hmm. still a, a kind of subconscious stress accumulation that physically uh, yeah accumulates and then i find it difficult to recover even though everything i'm doing i love <laughs> so that's kind of been one of one of my big issues for a long time trying to i don't know de-stress from stress that i'm really not feeling other than physically oh I, which is i understand that very well man that is like the topic du jour with me and my my counselor <laughs> so, yeah these uh um, I have, I get this, um, I, I love that you're working out that working out kind of saved my down spiral of, of insomnia and stuff. But, um, uh, I get these, uh, my throat will clamp down sometimes without reason. And it, it frustrates the heck out of me because externally, as you were saying, it's something you love. I'll, I'll, I'll be in a situation and, and I'll witness it like with my whatever you call it, your, uh, what's the ego and the id or, but you can get animal brain and 
let's call it logic brain for now. Um, yeah, my logical side's like everything's fine, everything's in hand, everybody's calm, everything's taken care of. Uh, nothing about this situation would induce stress to my mind, but something somewhere is is triggering it, you know. So I'm still I'm still unraveling that um, puzzle, but I I wonder, yeah. Exercise, I suppose, could be one thing. I haven't considered that before, but um. So what certainly, kind of... uh, stress in relationships—that's that'll set it off big time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so uh, so far, my best theory has been that there's basically. I mean, you're obviously very creative, and and I would presume you're also kind of like a, uh, from a nervous system standpoint, a, a sensitive person. I don't know in terms of like. <laughs> mentally but but when i say sensitivity in, in the context of a being a creative being an artist it means you're just i mean your nervous system is very uh, keen on you know finding small changes and shifts and nuances and then basically because of that your whole body is very sensitively wired so basically you have an input coming in you're going to respond to that uh you know, multiple times um, more sensitively than someone who isn't as sensitive. That's a horrible explanation, but but no, basically, it's, I mean, I I would, for me at least, it it, it has been the case that uh, I just need to be very mindful of the incoming uh, input. input. Yeah, mm -hmm. and minimize it, frankly, and 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 learn ways of of controlling it and uh gotta turn down the gain somehow <laughs> yeah I gotta do my gain staging better in yeah. my yeah we've got ribbon mics when most people have sm58s or something <laughs> yeah exactly that's, that's interesting but yeah. uh, so i mean maybe it is the case for you that it's simply the even though what you do uh, you know even if your life is in order and everything is good it might just be the case mm -hmm. that you get too much stimulus too much stressors even when you love everything that you do or most of what you do yeah um so it becomes like uh just like a um physical stress manifestation management problem uh, or, or challenge i uh the exercise uh helped at least i i didn't work out ever in my life until about three years ago and then I went hard, um, lost a bunch of weight and, um, it solved a bunch of stuff, but, um, and including sleep. So the, the aspect of exercise, I think it burned off a bunch of that extra stress anxiety, um, which I, which I'm glad for, but yeah, I need some other, I'm still developing other modes of, uh, um, dealing with with that all that input yeah decompress uh, i have a friend who, yeah <laughs> i have a friend who uh suffers from a lot of that too a fellow creative composer and he has he's got all these apps that automatically dim his phone and limit um contact it even limits him from going to like news channels and uh uh like reddit oh man that was during the pandemic i was just like scrolling on reddit forever and 
yeah, it just winds you up. Um, he's big on colors in your studio and lights being down at 8 p.m. Stuff that I should start following, but um, those would be some other things to pursue, I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, I think definitely those help. And it, and it seems also like, um, like you said, uh, about the having your relationships in order and, and all that stuff. That's a, that's a big one, but yeah, I'm, I've been dimming lights for, I don't know, maybe about two years now and mm. being very conscious about light is super, super important and all that stuff. And, and yeah, I mean, one of it, this is one of the worst things. If you, if you don't manage, oh, yeah. if you don't manage the use, it will just hijack your, your, uh, attention. And it's, it's horrible because it's, it's throwing your focus all over the place and we, we can't, it's no wonder that you get anxious if you're going from one context to another and another, you can't really, it's, it's tough to build like, um, solid, um, state of mind. If you have to jump from this disaster to this crisis or this, uh, you know, short clip of. I don't know, murder or, <laughs> you know, whatever, like totally. a fight on the street or whatever else is, or an ad that annoys you, yeah. you're going like back and forth. It's nobody can stay sane in that sort of, I definitely uh, witnessed that all those, um, I've gotten better at that. Cause I, I didn't realize that until, uh, maybe the last year, like you were saying, yeah, you'd look up something as a murder, or a, you know, car chase or an ad or something and cause my conscious brain was like it's just the news and then um i noticed that when because during the pandemic uh we had a we had a newborn born right at the top of the pandemic so i was very panicky for a long time you know hard to hard to keep the world safe as a father when everything is on shaky ground there um but uh i would open up the news every morning just to like see is the world ending you know what state is the world in like so it was the first thing I did every morning was like crack over the news. And I stopped doing that um, for a while. And uh, I, I'd noticed a tangible difference in, in distraction and whatnot. I, I didn't re it took me a while to realize that it was chipping away at my uh, attention and, and also then my creativity essentially. Right. So it's biting us in those unseen ways so yeah. i'm sure i could do a lot more but um that was one of them for sure i mean it, if it's if it's one thing that i would suggest for people to drop for their mental health and their focus you know if there's something you want to do but you find it hard to find the time and the energy and the focus and the, the willpower then just drop scrolling on social media i'm not it's like i love social media if you're using mm -hmm. it the right way but we you know, if if you're not mindful about it, you're just gonna fall into the the loops that they want you to fall into, and and totally. just you know spend time on the on the platform. But if if I can ask you, you said that exercise helped you with uh, insomnia. Yes, was, I uh, I wouldn't even call it insomnia. I'd call it sleep deprivation. It was yeah so intense. It would be multiple days of of zero sleep. Uh multiple times a week and this persisted for seven months and i it was just a, a system collapse um and we tried uh 
all sorts of pills and like dosages that were just obscene and nothing was working. So it, it, um, it, it wasn't the pills that were, it, it didn't seem to be whatever the, the pills go after, you know, like they, they prescribed me trazodone, Ambien, and it just did nothing. It was like, like a, a whiff <laughs> of wind. It was just pointless. I'd be sitting there awake and my body would be drowsy from the meds, but my brain would just be full on. And I'd just be like, this is, this is just a waste. What is happening? Um, but yeah, exercise was, was one big piece of solving that for me. Um, and I think it just burned off a lot of whatever that was, that, uh, reservoir of, of tension and angst. And, um, like you said, sensitivity to, to all this input. Um, so what, what form of, uh, exercise did you do? Was it well, cardiovascular first, or? Yeah. First I did, <laughs> uh, my, my wife's been doing them too. We have these hokey DVDs from the mid two thousands that we had, uh, of Jillian Michaels and they're, they're like, oh, they're just terrible. It's great. Uh, the music's so terrible <laughs> and it's all like pastel colors and, um, Jillian Michaels, she's the like, uh, she did the biggest loser and stuff. She's like Jersey girl. So she's, she's got, oh, little, yeah. she'll bark at you a bit and, uh, keep you moving. Um, so I just started on those and I started out with tiny weights and it's hit stuff. Um, and it was, it's like a 25 minute thing. And, um, I would do it four to five days a week. Um, and yeah, kind of got addicted to it. Wouldn't allow myself to take a shower or eat lunch until I had accomplished that thing. Um, and then slowly I ramped up the weights and, uh, yeah, I lost uh, 30 pounds off of that. Um, nice. and Thanks. Yeah. Um, also at that, when the doc was trying to solve insomnia, there's a bunch of other health issues, but cholesterol was one that came up and he wanted to prescribe me a cholesterol thing. And I was statin. like, yeah. yeah, statin. And I said, uh, you know, in my head, I was like, no, I'm too young for this. I'm not, I can, I need to just, I need to shake some things up. I'm not taking a statin now. Like, having known that my, you know, my grandfather's had four heart attacks, <laughs> still alive. And, you know, my dad has, uh, we all have guts genetically and, um, yeah, history of heart disease for sure. His, my great grandfather died at, um, like 61 of a heart attack. So, um, I got really committed then and was like okay well i'm gonna go at this another way and uh, yeah exercise was a big one and then change diet to just crap tons of protein cut out bread uh took the drinking way down um and uh my cholesterol plummeted after that um whatever combination it was the doc was impressed he was like you did it you did the thing that most people won't do most people just want the pill but congrats you 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 did you took our advice and you know <laughs> sorted it out the best way possible so i'm pleased with that my cholesterol's still low um so and how quickly did you see like a an improvement in your sleep um 
let's see. Well, some aspects were relational and that uh some connections to um friends uh after having the pandemic where I think I, the isolation of pandemic and feeling uh you know alone with children or alone as a family compared to everything else in the world getting reconnected to friends really um helped turn that around quickly too the sleep happened within like a month i still took um some sleep meds for a while um but they they started working magically and um then i started weaning myself off because i wanted to get off of those and so it was like i was two pills at night and then like one pill half a pill and then eventually got down to a, a quarter of a pill <laughs> um and uh i was also taking melatonin every night too i got i got off of that too um but that that took longer that whole the whole taper probably took a year but um there's a pretty drastic change in in i'd say a month or two from really kicking in the gears exercise uh diet connection um purpose i uh i i think you're big on this stuff too but i started reading a bunch of stoic stuff <laughs> and uh get you know did discipline stuff like i've seen in some of your videos and just uh getting getting back to direction um and purpose i think was a was another piece of that um puzzle yeah well, it's usually uh, a good idea, and I bring this up because, you know, somebody might be facing whatever they're going through in life, and, and they're wondering how long will it take to get back to normal or get to yeah. something better, and it's usually reasonable to assume that however long it took for you to kind of decay into this situation is probably what you should expect it like a similar to get back yeah yes and that's not to say like you can very quickly see improvements in in your situation but uh if especially like for me um this was probably i was probably what would i say maybe 24 25 when i kind of got sick and tired of the the crappy mental health that i had and it mm. kind of became very clear to me that i'm either gonna like bullshit my way into my grave in terms of not confronting this thing or i'm gonna do it now and i'm gonna do it properly and i'm gonna try and become a better person uh build some actual character um it, it, it's um what was my i lost my train of thought here uh -huh. due to my low low sleep no, right. <laughs> Which is, we're talking about the importance right. of mental health and how long it takes to undo yeah. the damage yes. thank you so yeah basically i mean it took i don't know probably two three years to get to like a like a pretty level decent place and then i'd say probably another two to kind of elevate above that but it takes time to change your your brain like you really need to be connecting those those neural pathways and build build new stuff in your brain yeah and let the old old ones atrophy 
and it's it's just like that's why i love all the parallels between working out and going to the gym and lifting weights if you want to build muscle you have to break it down and then you break it down yeah yeah you have to eat you have to sleep and then it's gonna slowly um build uh, upwards but the the mental side is exactly the same probably maybe even harder <laughs> so if you're if you're really serious about improving you know whatever situation you're in it's you have to get to a, a mindset where you accept and acknowledge that it's okay that it's going to take time because that's also one of the big things people are so used to they they expect fast results you know give yeah. me the pill give me this or that and and it's it's the same mindset that got you into that got trouble in the first yeah. place yeah so for me it was I, I i'm never one for a quick solution um but similarly uh similarly destructive and as useless uh I'm, I'm just a i will force myself through uh hell or high water uh, in most situations um which most of the time was an asset especially in my 20s and stuff in music or whatever it was just like stay get the job done whatever it takes and then um yeah eventually that that stopped working and uh, well it probably it, worked when it came to music i mean it you, did you, it really would you would totally pull from did. something else and set, put it somewhere else and you would make mm -hmm. that sacrifice but you had to pay I, for it i had to pay for it and and my body was paying for it um i didn't know that it was paying for it um until it started screaming back at me uh in the form of uh massive insomnia and yeah just it was like a all the systems were just like nope shutting down and i was like well, you you guys have worked you it's been fine what's the problem like <laughs> yeah i don't say this problem was, is we were going you're, you're getting older yeah that well I, yeah absolutely and also um all these other stressors that uh is taking in stride like two kids in a pandemic which you know i think we're all still coming to terms and probably will be for a long time with the mental and physical toll that that took on us in unique ways um i uh my counselor which i had not that was not a thing i did either <laughs> for forever before that but i found value in that he he pointed out once he was like uh listing the things in my life that uh you know are casual to me but to to most folks in a regular um schedule th those would be huge stressors um and he he was like you should uh, you should consider that when you're thinking about about these things and trying to solve this anxiety because as i said before like you know in my head i'm like yeah it's fine it's madison square garden at midnight whatever yeah fine this is regular <laughs> live tv to millions fine yeah just a friday just a friday yeah and but um yeah it's a it's a high stress input it's a it's a lot of input as you said yeah well it's a uh, creative people tend to end up having these lives that are very drastic like we have super high highs but then we have mm. super low lows, low lows and yeah. and creatives innately love that because what we tend to hate 
is the the mundane gray tedious stuff and they they want to do everything to stay away from that and in many (laughs) cases i think uh, i wouldn't even say sort of subconsciously maybe more consciously than we come to realize usually usually but uh they create this drama in their life because they Mm, they make decisions that lead to these kind of situations dramatic things yeah then you wonder why your relationships aren't working or why your financial life is what it is but Mm -hmm. i i at least in my experience and, and observation it's more of our making than than oh, just I agree. I would totally agree. Yeah. Uh, if something gets too regular for a while, I throw a bomb on it. <laughs> just, yeah, let's, yeah. Let's shake this up. Um, my wife knows that I I have about a week with relatives and which we, we love visiting family and it's they're they have more consistent lives. And yeah, after about so many days, I'm like, okay, I. I, I mean, I love these people and this is great fun and nice and comfortable, but I, I gotta get, I gotta get back to the studio. I gotta get back to LA. I gotta, you know, get back to things happening in drastic ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you, do you find, um, do you find that your, is, is your wife sort of, uh, temperamentally different to you or, or similar? And do you find that she sort of helps you? balance out your your personality and your temperament or how we're does still, it we're still uh solving that puzzle <laughs> yeah well i mean we... fair enough it probably will yeah it's a it's an, an ongoing project for sure ongoing project yeah for sure um she yes um she likes the opposite of those things i prefers the opposite of those things and and likes consistency and comfort and um um no stress no no conflict no you know whereas whereas i enjoy conflict um like if if uh if we've been shorted on by some company or something i i love to get on the phone you know and hunt down my refund or whatever (laughs) i like to pick fights sometimes uh not with her but with others uh just to show the contrast um so yeah, uh, and then trying to figure out how to integrate those together uh, is is our probably our core challenge. And you know, uh, the more we sort it out, the the better it is. Because uh, yeah, if there was two of me, I'd, it'd be intolerable. So it'd just be awful. <laughs> yeah, not 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 the double worse but exponentially like exponent yeah (laughs) yeah yeah um just um just going back to the time when you started having this insomnia and and all these other uh issues was it um yeah obviously there there were you were going through these physical um uh symptoms etc and probably as you touched on much of that was also just coming from like the the, the stress and the intensity of whatever you were, were going through but did you find that there were any and and go into this and it, it, in as much of a detail in as much detail as you as you as you want or not in detail but but did you find any sort of mental aspects that you've come to realize 
contributed to to that turmoil because we sort of touched on yeah i mean like uh, yes so was it like I, I presume you were intensively involved with, you know, performing, etc. So that probably mm-hmm. um, played a pr- played a role in that. Yeah. But we, we didn't really touch on the the, you know, did you go through stuff with like what was going on in your in your relationships, either professional or otherwise, or any other well, mental one, aspect. One theme definitely was was fear of this vast unknown um because i mean i mean for all of us things were so unknown there for a while and and we uh my daughter was born right at the beginning so the hospitals didn't even know how to handle it i remember they were everybody was just afraid all the time and and this baby was brought into the world and i'm supposed to be the protector and provider uh you know and looking around at a world and i'm sure this i mean this happens all the time to you know people that are in war-torn countries and whatnot to much greater degree than whatever i've had to deal with but i nonetheless it was yeah it was the outlook the outlook was was bleak and fearful for me i think um and i i didn't realize how afraid i guess i was of that um one thing uh that i've thought as i've as i've dealt with it is like back then i it was like no one's coming there's there's no backup no one's coming and uh no one's coming to save us you know so no one's coming to save me or my family but now i can say the same things with confidence uh and from a totally different standpoint no one's coming there is no backup. No one's coming to save us. No one's coming to save me. So it's me, you know. I have to save me. That's that's what I, I kind of... That was a big change in mode for me. Um, and um, so that, that helped a lot. But yeah, reflecting back, it was, it was fear and disconnection, I'd say. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's uh, basically the the difference is experience, and uh, yeah, I mean, it also experience from the standpoint of getting used to something. I mean, it sounds like mm-hmm. that was a new thing in your life, and whenever we're facing anything new, fear is a normal response. It's it's you saying, "I don't know what that is," and it's a natural response to say, well, maybe that thing is threatening and maybe that's going to be good. But then time passed, you handled it, you managed it, and you built confidence and and surety, and you understood that I can actually handle this, which is is a a big part of growing with anything. Like anytime you start anything new, that is always the situation. The the scale of it is going to be different. Like you said, you know, if I find myself in in a in in war that's going to be very different from wanting to start a new creative endeavor like mm-hmm. both can be fear inducing and they basically model the same you know fundamental yes that that but also you know the patterns of the unknown versus the known the threats the you know they they, they vary in degree but the same elements 
sort of abstracted are still present. Mm. So, but yeah, I, I think that's a good like um, uh, good example of of how we grow. <laughs> but yes. you know, you you went through it, and now that's integrated. It's yeah. in my system. Yeah, it's totally integrated. I feel it. Um, and there's experience. There, there was one thing I read. Uh, I kept it on my desktop. I pulled it up, but um, there. Uh, this is on the Art of Manliness webpage, which I enjoy from time to time. Um, but it talks about three different modes. There's like the fragile mode, where you suffer or break from volatility, and then there's um, resiliency, which is where you stay the same in volatility. And then there's the like anti-fragile mode, which is where you actually get stronger from volatility. And um, so I feel like I've passed through, uh, yeah, that, that gauntlet in a lot of ways and become resilient and uh, endeavored to become anti-fragile in a way to where when something goes wrong, as opposed to going, ah, oh, you know, complain, complain, going, uh, just going at it and um, I've gotten exponentially better at that um, which it. it I enjoy <laughs> so I uh, I started taking even cold showers at one point last year just to like build up that that um, that muscle as well which was you know is a small form of uh, stress and just stepping into it as opposed to being you know fearful but I mean, this is that that is kind of going around the Instagram, you know, podcast fitness sphere. But uh, I I really found a lot of benefits in it, um, and just just a testament to myself of like, yeah, you you're gonna face this and do this, and then you know that trickling down into other aspects of life. So. Yeah, no, it's 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 really big because if you if you if you know you're going to do something super hard every day, again, you're going to train the the muscle of doing something hard every day. And mm -hmm. getting into a freezing cold shower is not easy if you don't do it. I mean, even if you do it, it it's still not going to be easy. You, you, you yeah. might have built the muscle of getting in there because you know the benefits of what it's going to do and you know you can handle it, etc. But still hard, you know. It doesn't the the actual process of withstanding the cold doesn't yeah. feel good. <laughs> Dicking that first bit of skin in there, it's yep, okay, yep. we're gonna do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I think if you and that that the the level of hardness, the level level of difficulty in that is still far higher than what a lot of people go through in their day to day life, which is important because. You sort of want to calibrate difficulty, like you, you, you like uh, in terms of, you know, I might be going through something hard right now, but I could also be, you know, like you said, at, I could be in the middle of a war, for example, which would be potentially the, the a combination of the worst possible things a human can go through in life. Yeah. My difficulty here in the now with with my business or whatever is nothing compared to imminent death of my myself and my loved ones. And, and it's like, yes. it's so, so going into that cold is going to calibrate difficulty for the day. It's like an anchor point for everything else. And it's, it's super useful. 
in that sort of a way. Did you, as, as you were going through this, uh, like becoming more anti-fragile, was there any, any sort of, um, did you just sort of power through the, the process of it or did you find any sort of key mindset, uh, or perspectives that helped you get through it? Um, yeah, um, definitely. I was reading a lot of books. Um, interestingly enough, I was, uh, part of a, a men's group that my cousin started called a K4, um, which has now grown quite large K4 men. Um, but I was in the initial cohort. Uh, he's in LA. He's 20 or so years older than me. He's an anthropologist, but, um, he invited me this is 2018 and he was like you should you should come out to this and and so we started on that and it it kind of it centers around jungian like psychology and um stoicism and and grit and just um also being kind of a men's meeting thing which is now i feel like has become now there's lots of this stuff out there which i think is great um interestingly enough at the time i was not able to like receive all the messages that that i was hearing from the class until uh until these like system failures um around uh yeah 2021 and um you mean like in terms of covid or yeah uh, yeah and i mean in my body too yeah um, okay yeah, yeah um where just everything was just seeming to crumble and uh then all of a sudden i uh, yeah i had a, a bunch of hardships and things that 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 wisdom that i got from those those classes uh kind of came back into force um and i reread the books too uh from it there's iron john by uh robert bly which is um like a, a men's rite of passage thing. I am uh, trying not to get too into that. Two two guys on a podcast talking about men's things. You know, you know how that goes. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I'm uh, fine with it. I don't. I don't yeah. mind. It's no, all right. I, I'm, I'm fine that. with it too. It's just, uh, you know, put it on Instagram. <laughs> um, there was, uh, yeah. So it's uh, and another book that goes with it is a uh, King Warrior Magician Lover, which talks about uh, male archetypes. Um, and uh there was another one called under saturn shadow they're all they're all Jungian psychology stuff and then um uh uh jordan peterson which i i would just put a disclaimer out halfway i do not agree with about half of what he says but the the other half is just really speaks to me i read his 12 rules for life and i was like yeah this this is this is great <laughs> um so um those are all very male centric books but um they spoke to whatever pieces uh i needed to set into motion um in in big ways so just about purpose and focus and uh doing hard things um so that uh combined with all the exercise and uh kind of realigning my purpose with family and work um led to a, a transformation for sure um that um my friends definitely 
<laughs> I, I came back from from a period and they were like whoa <laughs> what? yeah. what's going who, on who with you? Are you yeah who are you um and uh it's a good thing it wasn't a bad thing so i uh i'm very pleased with it and i keep pushing on it um and only good things have come from it so um uh yeah yeah i'm it's, thankful it, for that uh that collapse because without it yeah we needed to burn that old he uh, peterson says you know burn that old dead wood away um but you know yeah. kind of do a phoenix move and become not you know get out of fragile and get to resilient uh and then yeah hopefully get to anti-fragile so yeah well that 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 speaks to the i i i usually call it the the deep dark truth of human beings which is that we only tend to change when we have to i don't yes. think it needs to be that way and we can change without having to well i i maybe i should kind of rephrase that which is that you 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 can create your own reason like you can create your own have to basically mm -hmm. but it 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 has to be there and yeah there has know, to be some sort of uh impetus or some sort of i mean this yeah. is storytelling right at this as well like with conflict or whatever they ha there's that there has to be some sort of event or something right to push the characters into motion maybe i don't yeah. i don't want to derail what you were saying but i think i'm tracking with you <laughs> so. yeah yeah well th there needs to be something pushing you into a direction i think this is especially important with creative people because we tend to be so you know head in the clouds and romanticize things and we like to spend time in our imagination and we're th we think we're going to do something just out of like whatever breeze like pure maybe i'm not gonna inspiration yeah pure yeah but the problem is things stay too ambiguous and mm -hmm. um in that sort of infinite pool of creativity and and uh yeah i mean usually when when people drastically change it's because some something traumatic happened something drastic happened you know somebody died or something happened to you or you know you went through something quite drastic that made you wake up to the situation you're in and yeah and i i hope it it doesn't need to be the case for for anyone to go through that to change but unfortunately it seems like the state we are we are currently in as as human beings it that that is required for most people mm, now i think yeah. you can change I, I think you can create those sort of conditions yourself but it's gonna it's so difficult that it's probably gonna first happen through that trauma and then you kind of wake up to it and then you realize oh maybe i'm not gonna wait for wait around for the next five or ten years to for something else to happen but rather I'm going to take this and I'm going to take the lessons from that and then start behaving as if there's, there's that, that push. Yeah. As if there's a conflict or a, or a trauma or something. Yeah. yeah. An impetus. Totally. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, it was a, a mass disruption. Uh, yeah. And unfortunately, yeah, most people require it. I certainly required it. Um, I think I could have coasted along on, on whatever i was doing if if i hadn't if my body hadn't failed and there hadn't been a pandemic uh 
for for quite a while and then could have looked up and been like oh what you know what the hell was i doing um but thankfully there was you know impetus for change so um i'm i'm grateful for it i'm grateful for the the wreckage yeah yeah well it's you tend to only see it in hindsight like once it's over you yeah. you learn you're like okay that was horrible and at, at the time i wish it went away but since i went through it and i became something better it, it's impossible to not you know value that and i think that's mm-hmm. a great sign actually like did you if you look at your past whatever you went through if you're still seeing it um as nothing but a negative then that's a pretty good tell that you didn't grow as a result of that because you still look at it and it's still traumatic and it's still negative Uh, and i'm not saying like obviously the things you you went through were were negative but now you you see them as like a building block type of a thing absolutely um i i stuck it on my arm (laughs) um you did yeah it says amor fati which means uh, love of fate um, nice. which is a uh, Jungian, but, uh, or no, that's Nietzsche. Um, it's, uh, to want nothing different forward or backward, but to, you know, to simply love what is not, not to suffer it, but to, to love it actually. And so that's my little reminder to, uh, love those hardships and love those things that, um, that were impetus for change. Yeah. So. And it's, that's, that's the thing that makes you wake up to reality because so many people live their lives in this kind of what if scenario. It's always like they're sort of living these parallel lines, the parallel lives, uh, and always wondering what if and looking at different options without really understanding like, this is it, like (laughs) embrace it and just be on this path don't wander off with your uh you know imagination and thought Imagine onto it, right. these other paths because they don't exist fundamentally they don't exist right there's that uh i can't remember who said it but most men live lives of quiet desperation right i'm sure you've heard that one yeah. before yeah just living in your mind of what ifs and could ifs and i mean in my biz i've definitely seen that people that have you know called it quits per se or or said you know f this after uh giving it their shot and being so angry and bitter um which you know i that's that's hard but um yeah all this uh angst and anger uh at the what ifs and so i'm uh i'm choosing to embrace so and i'm yeah, yeah i love my life i'm thankful for it so <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure you've um met quite a few people because considering considering the the place you're in right now the things that you're doing which we haven't touched on yet but i'll <laughs> we'll come to that <laughs> soon this because th- the worst introduction ever but uh <laughs> uh you've probably seen quite a few people attempt to do what you do or something similar to what you've done mm-hmm. but they've they've failed uh yeah. or or i should say they they gave up um do i mean you you obviously touched on one of the things which is like this bitterness and resentment of expecting an outcome and not getting it and then basically saying well fuck this and blame (laughs) you know point fingers point fingers somewhere else but 
is that like the biggest reason you've seen people quit as far as you know or are there some other key key factors that's, that's that... one aspect i i won't deny the economic aspects which um i am thankful for the opportunities i've been given um i'm thankful that uh i had supportive parents that were able to support me um and allow me to um pursue music fully as opposed to having to work as soon as i got off of got out of a class so uh i'm super thankful for that that i didn't have to go work at starbucks you know right after leaving class i got to go home and create um so just to acknowledge that <laughs> um but yeah i um gosh i i do feel like there's a lot of stuff in my career that's just dumb luck <laughs> but um uh I can't, I'm going to butcher this quote, but somebody says, you know, luck is, uh, essentially you have to be ready, you know, when luck provides its chance. Finding what luck is opportunity finding get there yeah. is like competence or, um, uh, -huh. competence plus readiness. opportunity. Yeah. Something like being that. ready, essentially. Right. You're, you're, you follow me. Yeah. So yeah. I will, I will give myself credit for that, for being ready when the situations came up or at the very least when they came up immediately running home and studying as hard as i could uh to to bs my way into something and then still you know pursuing it that's that's happened quite a bit <laughs> where somebody do said a, do you have a can you do this and i said yeah i can do that and then i went home and had to figure out how to do that <laughs> do, you, do you have any uh, an example of that that, um there was want to disclose because maybe you don't <laughs> want everybody to know yeah you, there's yes. um uh there was a scoring guy for um gosh i can't remember his name this is like 2012 and he had met me on a gig as a keyboardist and uh he had a he had a thing for a film about thomas edison that never got made and there was a script and everything and he was like uh are you able to to be my composer's assistant? And I was just so excited at the potential of doing that because I was just a gigging keyboardist like full-time at that time. And so this avenue, I was like, yeah, I would love to do that because um, I've always had that part of me that wants to do that. And um, there was an opportunity and he was like, okay, send me some demos. Um, and I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> So I got home from where we had spoken on this gig and I spent the next 72 hours cranking out demos. I, I think I probably slept eight hours the whole in those three days, but, um, I did score studies. Uh, I ripped off some John Williams stuff and like reconfigured it. I, I went full in, um, and turned it in and it, he was, this is amazing. Uh, he said, and, uh, the so the opportunity didn't pan out but the growth that i had in that three days like it was a total change shift change for me um because opportunities came up after that where i was ready um and if i hadn't like bs'd and totally been driven to do this like we were talking about before you know some conflict some impetus <laughs> to get my ass moving um yeah it really 
it really just forced me to get into it big time. And the growth that I had was huge. Um, another one that's, uh, that did pan out sort of, um, this was complicated, but, um, I, I just posted about it about 10 years ago. I recorded with Avicii for, uh, uh, on one of the biggest albums of the, the year, uh, wake me up. And I recorded on that song, wake me up and two others that made the album. But, um, so I was working for Aloe Black at the time as a touring keyboardist and he hit me up and he was like, do you want to come to this session with Avicii? Uh, he wants to do some recording. And, uh, I wasn't like listening to EDM or dance music at all then. <laughs> um, and so I had like a week where I drove in head first and just consumed as much EDM as I possibly could. Cause I was like, I have to. I have to, I have to know what I'm talking about, know what I'm doing here. Um, this was before he was a, like before he blew up and was huge. He had had levels had come out, which was his one song, but he didn't have an album out. So I like, uh, drowned in dead mouse albums and just went full in studying like all these sub genres of house and everything. Um, and so then when I came to the session, you know, I was much better in hand and much more aware of like the scene a bit because <laughs> I'd just been playing like R&B for the last two years, not dance music at, at all. Um, ironically, he didn't want any of that for the session. Um, uh, he wanted like country music. So uh, we recorded that and um, that was a, that was a good opportunity um, full of business drama, but that was, that was a big important note. But um Ever since then, I've had this massive love for EDM and it's like such a part of my identity and my like hybrid scoring chops and um, my synth programming and stuff. It was another like impetus growth left turn um, change point in my life. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And in that opportunity, it was like a, a lot of the time people can be, they say, oh, I can't do this thing or I shouldn't go for this opportunity because yeah. that's not what I do. But oftentimes, especially with creatives, they're looking for different perspectives, which is what you probably brought to the table. You weren't yeah. the, you know, the, the handbook EDM guy who did everything, you know, right. Yeah. Think about it. Like he doesn't need me to do that. He's, he's that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you're right. Yeah. But I totally like, yeah, I jumped in head first and I'm grateful for it. So, yeah, but, but also those stories are excellent reminders of just like the, the human potential to grow is, I don't, I don't think we've even gotten close to understanding the scope of that. Like, mm you can like in those 72 hours or in the Avicii case whatever that that was you can you can really learn so fast if you have the 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 right drives and the right yeah. you know pressure to to make it happen and not that i'm advocating people you know not sleeping for three days or right. whatever <laughs> but but it's it's a regardless like doing that but in a, in a more balanced way like let's say you you book 
you you schedule the the eight hours uh, or nine hours or whatever it is that you work per day, if you were as efficient as you possibly could be, mm-hmm. what would that look like? Right. Uh, so you don't have to go super super hard, like do nothing but 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 music for you know a week. But if you were to sort of disperse that and and sort of uh, schedule it in a, in a sort of a schedule more that drive <laughs> yeah schedule it in a, in a more lasting yeah. and, and reasonable way uh, i don't like most people do not understand how efficient they can become yeah. and if you do it on a, on a sort of a more daily evenly dispersed way you can you can go super fast and i'm saying this to myself because i keep forgetting it and it's very easy to become oh, me too man i but yeah you're right we could be so much more efficient i i'd submit we're probably way more efficient than we were i mean i know i am i'm sure you are with kids um yeah the amount of time i just wasted dawdling around in my 20s and now it's like okay i got four hours bam gotta get it you know because the rest of this time is dinner with the kids or taking the kids to school um this is bedtime for them you know like it's forced um forced scheduling in a way so forced maturity but it's also tough because obviously having kids if you're actually doing something with them if you're actually involved that's stuff you know it's tough and you you know when once you do get some time for yourself you're like oh i just want to relax and (laughs) i want to like decompress yeah but that that's kind of the the danger of it uh, because at times it can get pretty tedious because you're like i do nothing but engage fully with everything that i do and you know but in in that situation it's important to schedule in the decompression as well like that's what i'm that's advocating what for yeah <laughs> yeah um, me too me too but it's like <laughs> so yeah i mean you, you absolutely need that but I also want to be strategic about it because too much of it is not good either. And then you become, you know, just somebody who lies on the couch and watches Netflix or whatever you do. So there's a time and place for that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a time and place for that, but too much of it is waste of time, like you said. But uh, maybe if we, if we actually give people who don't know who you are an idea of who you are, yeah this is already an hour in into the conversation but um so basically and this is you know pretty much summarized on your website so people can go Go there and check it out but uh so you are a keyboardist uh music producer and sound designer um toured with mariah carey adam lambert hello black saint vincent and on these ones you were the keyboardist musical director sound designer Mm -hmm. or yeah yeah uh so some some variation of the three on all of those yeah yeah Yeah. and now you're in the house band for american idol yeah and seventh season this year seventh is that seventh yeah for you for me for me yeah i think they're on their 22nd 22nd season yep that's that's quite a few um and yeah, as, as you mentioned, you have some co-writes, uh, co-writes, uh, Avicii, Wake Me Up, uh, Shame On Me, and then Flow Riders, uh, Wobble, and Can't Believe It. And then you've toured and performed with a bunch of, <laughs> bunch more artists, and then you've done tour sound design 
for I mean, Katy Perry, Kesha, uh, Rita Ora, etc. Um, and you've done sound designing uh, and consultation for companies like Dave Smith Instruments, Novation Music, Strymon, uh, Strymon Effects, uh, Moog Music. Moog? Yes. Yep. Not That's Moog. Right. Moog. 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 Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, Pioneer DJ. And then you've scored some commercials for BMW, Chevrolet, and WWE, which must have been fun. That one, the last one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's some walkout music for John Cena. That was a while ago. That was fun. <laughs> oh man, that's that sounds like back fun. when he was wrestling. Yeah. So, yeah. Nice. So yeah, I mean, uh, that's uh, that's one one heck of a CV. Uh, but um, just to maybe go back to your your sort of uh, origin story, um, and and. And one of the reasons, like uh, I, I wanted to talk with you, is because you have obviously like um, like a world class level uh, capability in terms of being an instrumentalist, like being a keyboard player. That you, you're at 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 a top level in that. But it's very clear that obviously you've done all these other things as well. But ev even just because I, I think I originally bumped into you through some of the moog or strymon demos mm, and it was okay. evidently clear to me that you weren't just a great player but you brought you were very mindful of, of the sounds you were very sort of it was a very kind of responsive um thing that you were doing which was a a, a, a tell to me that that you were actually a, a creative like th there was so much creativity and and uh um awareness when it came to mm -hmm. what you did that it's it's remarkable that that you have this uh level of 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 you know playing your instrument but it's also supported by your you know taste and your awareness in terms of the the creative aspects of 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 music so i think w would you say that that that's like um cuz a lot of the the players that I know who are um, professional musicians, but they aren't really, they aren't, I wouldn't say doing something creative at, at, a, at a top level. They're remarkable players, but that's pretty much what they do. They're instrumentalists. They, they play their instruments, but at, at the level, level you're at, do you think you can get by, by just being a great player? in your instrument or do you think you need to have that next level of you know creativity and 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 this sort of a perhaps deeper understanding of of uh i should say maybe the the sensi sensibility and awareness for for creative creativity and, and sound if that makes sense oh, yeah the latter for sure um i I mean, in college, I was all about instrumentalists, as many music majors are. We're all about, like, the chops. But, yeah, there was a shift uh, in my in my joys to artistry and listening to good artists that weren't just blazing instrumentalists um, at that time, which I'm, I'm thankful for. <laughs> um, 
because I was a big prog rock head for a while. Still love prog rock, but yeah, <laughs> it was all about the chops for a while. Yeah, I um, I, I don't think being an instrumentalist is enough unless, because because it's it's harder to make a living just as an instrumentalist. Excuse me. Um, nowadays I'd say, and also um, that's like I don't listen to music for um instrumentalist you know expertise really i don't think most of us do um the general public certainly doesn't um so um yeah it tends to be in the in the kind of niches let's say some like more technical metal or or like you said progressive progressive rock is a is a big one on that like people are very impressed by the skill of playing super fast yeah usually because that's what they're doing at a like a hobbyist semi semi right yeah that's that's what they're pursuing which is that's what i was doing in college is i was trying to be the you know keith emerson or whatever (laughs) so jordan rudis um yeah i mean and funny enough i i mean i listen to a lot of metal um but like i'm thinking about yeah the technicality the technical skill of some of these bands is incredible but i'm not listening for that first i'm listening for like the feeling and the emotion like i love mashuga to death i love mashuga um and they are ridiculously you know technically skilled um but like it's the feeling of that i get from listening to them as art that gets me excited not you know not just the ripping because there's a billion rippers but um yeah it's that it's that um combined like technical prowess with artistry that like emotion um especially when i'm working out (laughs) that you know i just love um to use that as an example like a super like radiohead or something yeah like johnny greenwood is like one of my f- favorite players in the world, but he's not, you know, he's not a Pat Metheny or anything like that. He's, he's very skilled, but I listen to him for his creativity and, you know, the, the weird left turns he's going to take. So, um, yeah, I'd say I, I definitely value the latter. And the, the more I learned that and got away from college, prog rock fusion, uh, music major head, the the better i got you know and that's um that's something that's hard to impart to to younger people i think i i didn't want to hear that when i was 20 you know (laughs) i didn't want to hear that you know just yeah you should probably just study beatles songs instead of listening to dream theater but you know i still enjoy dream theater but like you know this is that's gonna get you farther in the music biz and in life than this yeah and it's it's super important because it's a different skill like you're doing a completely different thing like playing an instrument isn't innately creative there's like it's It's just like yeah it's like welding or woodwork or do it like plumbing you know the technical stuff of how to make it happen but just because you play something doesn't doesn't mean you're actually being creative with it which is a super important thing to understand and a lot of people are gonna disagree with me because it's gonna make them 
uncomfortable because yeah. they they have years and years of invested interest in telling themselves that I am a creative person, yet you've never written a song in your entire life. You know, maybe you've played your instrument for years and you like music, you love music, but you don't actually create anything. And it's super important to understand that because maybe you do want to be just a player. And I don't mean just a player, like it, it's not a matter of better or worse. The, these are just different yeah. things. So if you love yeah, playing, you know, if you love, if you love it, then play, but then do that. If, yeah. yeah. But if you like, for someone like myself, I, I cannot, I cannot not create, like I have to be creating something. Otherwise I, I get mentally ill. Like <laughs> I, I start becoming unwell and yeah. So it's these kind of things that I, I want people to become mindful of because you don't want to be aiming at the wrong thing. Uh, mm -hmm. And and but yeah, I wanted to kind of bring this up because I, I wanted to understand whether at your level it's no longer enough to be just a great player. Like you need to bring something more to the table. Oh, you need absolutely. to bring creativity to the table. Yeah. Um. Absolutely. I. I know amazing players and um, so many amazing players. I mean, we're spoiled in LA. Um, I grew up in Oregon. And so players up there versus down here, yeah, it's a drastic difference because, um, you know, everybody's trying to work. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's whatever that extra edge is, I'd say, for everybody that I've worked with that that is the reason they get hired. Um whether it's their um their ability to work with other people um their ability to contribute a a sound or a vibe or a, a creativity um to to an out to a musical outfit um band ensemble whatever um or like for example so like american idol i'm i am not the best keyboardist in la <laughs> by a long shot you know um and um, I'm, yeah, I'm, but I, I'm not hired to be the best keyboardist for that gig. I'm hired because, um, I work well with this team. Um, we work very efficiently and, um, under the leadership of, uh, Chris Pooley, he's the music director. He assembled the people, um, and they're, they're all great players, um, but I would I would say that most of the reason that we're on there is because we work very well together. We work quickly together. We're all very kind. Um, we're all driven to um, do it very well. You know, it's not good enough if you're fumbling through. We all there's like an internal shame we all have that would you know makes us go home and like get it better, um, as opposed to like yeah it'll be fine. Um, so um as as well as like um my music production and sound design aspects but um yeah i'm not hired to be a, an amazing keyboardist there i'm hired to be an amazing team player i'd say yeah is that uh is it is it is it um part of the band's responsibility to cuz a lot of the time uh, a singer or yeah a singer comes to you and they want to do a obviously a cover of another song is it 
-hmm. Is it your responsibility to do the the new arrangement and the new sort of style for the for the cover, or does that come from somewhere else? So there's yeah, in the music department for that, there's um, two pieces of the team. There's the vocal coach slash accompanists, which are two people teams, and there's a few of those teams because there's so many contestants, um, especially at the beginning as it narrows down. Um, so they work out the arrangements, and they they actually do uh, like lead sheet charts for us. Um, in the band and then that gets passed to the band um chris pooley watches over this whole thing he kind of execs all that um and then he plays in the band as well and um what's his instrument he plays he's a keyboardist um and uh production guy um leader um but he plays organ on um on in the band that kind of glues everything together um and then i do the i do keyboards um and tracks making tracks we have a playback person so i don't have to worry about playback systems um but um so like i do the synths and the pianos and stuff um so yeah the arrangements come to band and then um and then we execute them whether they're like the record or somebody else's reference of a record like uh you know i want this ballad to sound like uh whatever garth brooks in i can't think of an example right now or i want this to sound like radiohead or something like that you know yeah. uh, and it'll be like a britney spears tune or something you know so you're trying to figure out that angle so the, the yeah the accompanists and vocal coaches they they mold it there and then it comes to us and we figure out how to make that work um and then we do it on stage so yeah there's um uh our playback person uh laura Escudet. she's great um so i i'll make the tracks at home or chris will make some tracks um if we need support tracks like you know say there's synthy stuff that we just can't handle or needs to be in the box um a lot of auxiliary percussion stuff like that where i'll pour out my uh you know, cinematic stuff, cine samples, Spitfire, things like that, uh, strings, things like that. Um, and then um, when we do get string players for some of the moments, especially later on in the season when they want to doll up the production, then um, sometimes I do some of the string arrangements um, or Chris will do one. Um, so, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I mean, uh, what you touched on in terms of the social aspect, that's that's huge because, again, that might be something that, you know, a lot of people who are, who would love to be in a position where you're at, they're aiming for that and becoming tremendous players. They also develop like a more of a productional sense and, mm -hmm. and et, et cetera. But then they might find that they don't actually have any people skills and that they, they can't really can't yeah. really get along with other people and that's that's what i've heard from um especially being being in in your world but but i would presume being at the at the top of it, uh, any any field like you have to have all of these different components at play and you need to be at least past a certain threshold because people 
don't you know suffer fools at, at your level and also Absolutely. and all the all the you know the budgets everything involved people don't have time to sort out your bullshit so so to speak yeah. like you need to <laughs> like that needs there's to money, be money yeah yeah happening. And it, there's money being spent quickly on a set like that so yeah. and it's, no it's diffi difficult enough as it is and the most difficult thing is if people are not you know jiving well that becomes a huge issue so that that's certainly something you 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 need to have <laughs> in yeah. order to to make that work did, did you um were you always good with people or was it something you had um, to develop thinking back um i mean i was yeah pretty decent and sociable and uh careful but i definitely I'm thinking of stories in my twenties now of where I was on tours and was definitely a prick, um, in certain situations. Um, those are learning opportunities. I'm, I'm thankful for, I've had some mentors along the way that have helped guide and mold me, uh, from, yeah, the young 20 guy into, I mean, I'm 38 now. So yeah, experience I think is a big part of it, which is, I mean, everybody in the bands around my age and older, uh, like 35 to 45 is, or 35 to 50, because we're all, we're all seasoned. We've all toured our brains out before. We've all been on terrible gigs before. We've all been on great gigs before. I think, yeah, that, that experience and that, uh, had molds those people skills, you know? Um, I, uh, when I was, I got the Mariah Carey gig right out of school when, um, I went to Musicians Institute in Hollywood and, um, um, it was an audition. It was like a, I was, I got it. I was referenced to it by Randy Jackson who knew me from another gig, but, uh, I was pretty young out of school. And so it was a big gig and I was nervous and, um, probably spoke too much and everything, but. Eric Daniels, who was the music director, um, I was on auxiliary keyboards. Eric Daniels was really great and helped uh, shape me and tell me when to shut up <laughs> and um, how to, uh, yeah, he taught me a lot of of those people skills, politics especially, which on um, on a gig like that where you have to be careful uh, working with, you know. Um, strong personalities and big teams um you you really have to figure out how to yeah not be how to get what you need and and not be a, an asshole about it um <laughs> um not step out of your lane um so yeah which i definitely did a whole lot when i first started there <laughs> but um got whipped into shape so um do you remember yeah, any any kind of key pieces of advice that you you got uh, from uh, from one of these mentors let's see yeah staying in your lane um definitely like thinking about uh what you say to who um i i was entirely too trusting when i was younger because uh i just a naive kid from a small town in oregon um and uh not everybody is is uh, on the level in the music biz so um 
I, uh, I remember there was one time where, uh, one of the tech guys pulled me aside and out of a situation and he just like pulled me out mid conversation, uh, where I was talking to some other people in the department and he just kindly pulled me to the side and, um, told me to, to, to just stop. <laughs> he said, cut it out. Um, he said, just, you need to keep that to yourself, you know, um, and you need to watch your behavior and stuff. So I'm thankful for that. And there's all those little moments like that. I think we all have those kinds of reckoning moments, um, when we're younger, um, on tours. So, no, uh, I can't think humility. of any specifics. Yeah. Humility. It was definitely, it was a, it was a lesson in humility. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm was, sure the, that, that a lot be of one her of stuff them. was, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say like, uh, when we touched on the, the other people who have attempted or attempt to do what, what you do at the level you do, I'm sure the lack of humility has ended a lot of those opportunities yeah. as well. I've seen people get fired. I've never been fired, but, um, yeah, I've watched, I've watched the fires start where I'm like, oh no, don't, don't say that. You know, when I'm seeing somebody else on stage, who's just about to say something to end their job or, you know, screw up in some way. Yeah. Humility is a big one. Um, and, uh, I've seen a lot of it happen from just like miscommunications over emails. Um, you know, it's a high stress field as we were talking about stressors earlier, but, uh, you know, there's all these different managers and things are dealing with their own, you know, fires that they have to deal with. And then if you as a band member come in and start barking about something, uh, to them in the wrong way, you know, you're going to set them off and talk yourself out of a job. So, um, yeah, the benefit of the doubt is another important lesson, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. Or at least well, giving the, time. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's a huge part of what I aim to do with this this podcast as well. Like, because our the the negative side of, of the ego, if you will, like what you think of yourself. And like I like I always say that the ego is a great thing because that's your drive to do what you want to do and pushes you towards some aspirations but if you start to if it, if it becomes unmanaged and if you don't understand the the flip side of it which is that you're probably not as good as you think you're probably not as you know <laughs> yeah. cool or liked as you think you're not as irreplaceable as you think that's for sure yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and you know you can have um <clears throat> you know, great musicians who come into positions similar uh, as yours and, and they think they're the shit and they think they're the, the biggest, you know, most intelligent person on, on stage and they know how to do it. And maybe they do, but it's also about understanding the, the hierarchy of things like this is not your thing to be, you know, arranging, like you need to understand mm -hmm whose whose operation it, it is and you know who knows maybe if you shut your mouth and and listened and observed maybe you could learn something and um you know then two years later you realize thank god i didn't say anything because <laughs> it, it would it would have been very much out of line exactly yeah or or even just a knife 
of of calmness sleep. i definitely yeah or sleep uh in my younger years i definitely talked myself right out of a i had a church gig at the time a, a steady on sundays which was nice they paid decent and it always seemed to work between tours so it was a nice in town and uh, i came back from a tour uh on my high horse it was a good tour and uh was doing this this church gig which was you know early 6 a.m 7 a.m they have they have these in la it's like these mega churches and they hire bands and there's production elements and lights and and uh big big budgets and big to do's um and uh i guess i had misunderstood some changes in the rules about where to park <laughs> um so i parked in the wrong place unknowingly um you know an innocuous thing um somebody came in uh came in uh like in between the breaks and the services and tore my head off about parking there and uh what i should have done was just been like okay that's and stayed calm and just moved my car and and moved on you know just taken taken the lashing from them and been like okay well they're upset for reasons i don't understand but i'll just let that pass that's not what happened i <laughs> I let them have it. And then I went home and I emailed uh, the pastor and I let him have it too. Um, big mistake. <laughs> and I, I wish I hadn't, but you know, Amor Fati, whatever. Um, so as a consequence of that, uh, I was not allowed to play. You know, I was not hired back there despite um, the music director wanting me to play there. He always, he kept asking the pastor if he could have have me come back and play and the pastor was like no way <laughs> um so i ended up actually doing a bunch of like tracks for them over the years music production because they'd let me work that way sending you know i wasn't on site then <laughs> i was just as, as long as he doesn't bring his car then we're <laughs> That's fine That's right Right. yeah so i you know i was still doing like orchestrations and arrangements but yeah if i had just shut my mouth and like let it cool for six hours it all would have been fine so that was a sh sharp lesson in humility for sure so yeah and it's again Many years like, past yeah and, and who knows like i don't know what what your situation was maybe it couldn't have been overcome by a good night of sleep or good nutrition or exercise like maybe that stuff could have accumulated to the point where you didn't you know need to go over i'm just trying to make the point of everything sort of pulling into yeah who and what we are and why stuff happens well i was fresh off a tour so i was probably yeah i was still heated and stressed from that so yeah if i had yeah. if i had slept and cooled it yeah. yeah ate better ate a better breakfast yeah so. and again like uh what i'm beginning to understand by you from from talking with people on this podcast is that it's yes it's the um, you know competence finding the luck and the the, the opportunity <laughs> like competence finding the opportunity mm -hmm. which gives you a chance to do something but it, it, it's becoming very clear to me that it's the it's the social aspect that kind of secures things like locks locks them in place because based on a lot of the stories uh, of, of hearing how people came across a project 
was, you know, you could call it luck, but yeah, opportunity finding you, you had the skill to execute, but then it's just about getting along with, with the people. And once you get along with them and you have good chemistry, then it kind of becomes locked in place. And I, social connection. Yeah. And I, I very much, um, see that it, it's not the, you don't have to be the best composer in the world. You don't need to be the best at what you do, but obviously you need to be good enough to, to execute, but then just find the right people in the right place. And maybe you can actually build a, a career with that. It's, it's becoming very evident to me that that, that is the yeah. case. You don't have to be the best of the best, but uh, you don't Nope. You just, yeah, you, it's definitely all, at least in my experience, it's been all who I know um in so many ways and yeah people people hire who they who they know and who they like not they you know they don't want to take chances on strangers no matter how amazing you are that's been my experience yeah they want to work with who's familiar you know who's comfortable they would pick that over um prowess in 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 a lot of ways i'd say yeah, and I could draw a a board of a a spider web of all my connections that have led to every gig and which person reffed me for this, and I went to this thing where I met this guy and we got along, and then he referred me to this thing, and that's how I got that gig, a thousand times over. So, um, especially like on I I tour, I don't tour much at all anymore, um, but. When I was touring all the time, you know, it's buses and green rooms. And most of the time, you're not playing, you know. I'm sure you've heard that a million times. Um, but, uh, yeah, you're mostly just hanging around with, with these people. <laughs> and, boy, I've been on tours where, yeah, somebody's somebody's just a, a, a problem. Or, you know, there's a bad attitude permeating things. And it's so destructive and toxic. Um, and in in my past, I've I've been party to that, and it's yeah, it's just no good. It doesn't help anything. So, yeah, good people, yeah. good attitudes, good hang. Yeah, and it, what what you said about uh, knowing what to expect—that's huge. Because if you're getting into a new project. And there's a lot of effort, a lot of money, a lot of time involved. You want to know what you're going to get. Like the expect yeah. managing expectations is huge because like you said, you can have a, a new person who is incredibly skilled and talented, but maybe if you don't know how they manage themselves, how they manage their time, are they going to show up? All these things they can, you know, make a make a project completely bomb so you you need to know that who they are you need to know their character you need to know how they're operating so that's a massive thing and uh something worth thinking about like if you are trying to build a network and trying to get to know people you need to find ways to tell them who you are and what they can expect um yeah. which is in part what i try and do with this podcast because it it it's beneficial for me to like you can just come and watch this and get to know me you don't have to actually know me uh, right. <laughs> in person 
which is a part of like from a more strategic perspective like i do this podcast out of curiosity and love but also obviously i'm a, i'm hoping that it gives me some work in, in the future and you know if you want to get to know me this is one of the ways you can do that so um, obviously there's many ways of doing that you can do youtube videos etc but but it's worth uh thinking about for sure it, is it by the way uh, regarding your tattoo what was the it's not a windmill but it's what do you call oh. those uh it is a windmill let me let me oh. get i'll get the toy here so it's it's this windmill um i ah. just held that windmill up to the mic as if that was the right thing to do <laughs> so That's this true. is a this is my grandfather's toy he's from kansas uh uh, grew up much more rural than I did, and uh, this was on the shelf for the last, uh, well, my entire life. Um, and then he he gave it to me, uh, and um, to me, it's it's an embodiment of a lot of things about him. Um, so I stuck it on my arm, because uh, uh, he's been he's been given a raw deal by, well, I shouldn't say a raw deal. He's had a lot of hardships in his life, um, and he's persisted. Um. Uh, so to me, he's the embodiment of of Amor Fati. Um. So yeah, that's why I have that there. It's part of my stoic dyad. I have, I have another side here that's a, uh, a little more, uh, rambunctious. This is Memento Mori, and it's a Van Gogh's uh, self portrait. So <laughs> this this one, yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, a little bit of, you know, steadiness and a little bit of uh, carpe diem there, so. Nice. Cool. Um, if we... Uh, the windmill. <laughs> yeah. No, that's very cool. Uh, so you, you, you said you came to LA from Oregon. Was that... Were you born in Oregon? Born and I raised was. or... Yep. Born and raised in a small town, Kaiser, Oregon. Um, and... Uh, went to school in portland which is like oregon's big city um and uh went there for jazz um when i thought i was going to be an instrumental instrumentalist a pianist jazz pianist i was taking private lessons from like the top guy in portland uh randy porter amazing um pianist um and uh <laughs> i there's I remember at some point it became clear to me that um so I'm taking lessons from like the guy who's got he's the best player in town he's got all the best gigs in town and he has to teach all day <laughs> all day every day um and he didn't have the nicest house and everything and just amazing ridiculous player um and I was like I'm never ever going to be better than him at this jazz thing at this you know at playing piano and so that was part of my brain shift to like this this can't be this can't be the way um uh the other aspect was so so i was going to college for jazz there uh mount hood community college and i found a juno 60 in the closet of the band room at mount hood community college and I promptly took it home. Yeah, it's oh. a good closet. Yeah. Did anybody uh, notice? Uh, 
let's see oh actually no the band teacher asked if i could program an organ sound on it and um so i took it home because i had never seen anything like this before and um i i had a korg triton but i i had never seen like an analog synth so i took it to my my apartment and then i just never took it back <laughs> uh for uh, what, what you what you're meaning to say it got lost somewhere it got lost yeah i sold yeah. it at about 15 years later <laughs> um but yeah it totally got lost and i fell in love with that thing so hard i i had never the things i had had before korg romplers like the korg uh, o1w korg triton um those are what i was used to and the, the sounds always bugged me i was like these are these can do a lot, but they always sound terrible. They just have the worst sounds. Um, and uh, it's called innovation. Okay, they are that's newer, right. new, newer device, newer devices. Yeah, so I went back to a device from 1983 uh, called a Juno 60, and uh, I was like, "This is pleasing." Instantly, you know, it's just it has the arpeggiator built in. It has the the analog chorus button. Um, and, uh, I would play that thing for hours and there was no manual and I had no guidance and I just mucked about until I started to figure stuff out. Um, we were also, my roommates and I were also like experimenting with mushrooms and stuff around those times. So I, Pair, I pairs well with the Juno. Yeah. I do that on mushrooms. Sometimes I, I connected with this thing is what I'm saying. So, um, what what yeah. how old were you at this time? I was let's see 18 19 um uh and yeah that's that was like a major shift I fell in love with that thing and realized that like the Korg Triton keyboard world it didn't have to be like that like keyboards could be cool um and then I discovered uh yeah i discovered radiohead and nine inch nails in those years and then i was like oh keyboards can be really cool <laughs> when they don't sound like keyboards um you know keyboards so uh that was my break away from piano instrumental i'd say and the start of a long love affair with synthesizers that still continues to this day and is very much a piece of everything i do so um yeah i i completed my stuff in portland and then i moved down to la went to musicians institute for um one two for three terms and then there was a poster on the wall an audition for a guy named van hunt who was a neo soul guy neo soul guy um who he's he's still uh he, he has a following but he doesn't he doesn't really like make many records but he had a big records back then uh, for a period. And so I auditioned. This was another like fake it till you make it thing, like my other things, where it said like, do you like par Parliament Funkadelic and play keyboards? Like come audition. And I had never listened to Parliament Funkadelic except for Flashlight. That was the only one I knew. So I quickly like got all their albums and just and just went full in, like all the 70s albums um did the audition and i remember after the audition van said you're the only guy who played the part um like the horn parts played the keyboard parts and um so then i toured with him 
until he lost his record deal um, quickly. <laughs> Uh, but his manager was Randy Jackson of American Idol fame, um, which ironically is not how I got into the American Idol camp uh, years later. But um, so Randy Jackson uh, knew me from that Van Hunt gig and then uh, the Van Hunt gig fell apart. I went back to school because I was like, I don't know what to do. So I went back to MI for a term to try and continue uh, the commercial music studies. And uh, then Randy called me up a couple months later and said, hey, uh, we're doing auditions for Mariah Carey and I want you to come audition. So I did and I got it. Um, I got the call right in the middle of a rehearsal at MI. And they said, um, which you took, you got... promptly. <laughs> which I took. Uh, yeah, they they um, I remember I was with oh, I, I can't remember the names of those people, but. I feel a little bit bad. Um, but yeah, I, I was like, I got to go guys. I got to leave. <laughs> I'm sure they stuff and understood. And they, they understood. Yeah. Oh. They understood in a way. So, cause uh, they were like, you're leaving for New York in two days. Uh, you got to learn all these songs and you're going to be in New York for uh, two weeks. And we're doing Saturday night live, the view, uh, the, bt awards you're doing all these things so it was just like okay well forget school i'm done and um after yeah that was a that was a good long couple years with mariah um that bloomed into the rest of my career so that was my college journey and is the the was it musical institute or what, musicians what institute M musician so is that yeah. kind of like a specialized school conservatory kind of thing or no it's not a conservatory it's like um no. it's like a berkeley-ish berkeley-esque um it's not as as it's not as good as berkeley and not as involved and and as big um but it's it's definitely focused on commercial slash popular music um so i joined they had a bachelor's degree program uh for yeah keyboard institute of technology and so there was uh synthesis classes and theory classes and and like band classes cover band type stuff where you'd um you know they'd tell you to learn a song and that's where i learned how to like play parts and stuff but um do you if yeah, you look was... back on the the, the their experience did, did you um did it give you something that helped you do what you do today yes and uh, what was that there was a couple things uh the classes were mostly not good <laughs> um when i was there um they were i was above where where they were because i had already done three years of music in oregon um so like i i had maxed out on like the theory classes um tested out of a bunch of stuff so that aspect, um, as far as like the education was not what I got out of that school. I got the network. That was the biggest thing I got out of that school. Um, there was the auditions that were on the wall. I would have never seen those if I hadn't been around for that. But also when I went, when I got to MI, I signed up for like every band I could, just bands playing around town. And we'd play every dumpy gig in town, the Roxy, uh, the... I can't remember 
half the any of the venues <laughs> they're probably all gone now but um i just got a ton of experience like playing gigs um in la and doing that thing and playing for different genres and artists i signed up for i don't know eight to 12 different bands no pay you know these are just like hey we need a keyboardist just like trying to get out there um and uh another thing i got from mi was um there was an advanced synthesis class because i i skipped through the basic ones um alessandro cortini was teaching that class um kind of on his off time in between nine inch nails tours um so there was he'd he'd like missed a bunch of dates because he'd be gone and stuff like that but um there wasn't really like a curriculum <laughs> he just brought in his um he brought in his euro rack and we just we just mess around with it and um i got a lot out of that um eventually everybody else in the class like dropped out except for me and like two other guys so <laughs> um it was just dedication <laughs> it was dedication because we were just yeah i was just boggled and obsessed with like what is what is this strange device this is not like any keyboard i've encountered first of all it doesn't have a keyboard um so yeah cortini would just we'd play with the modular and he'd tell stories which was great and he oh he told me about records that like artists that i'd listened to uh alvin noto was one of those um that i would have never come across if he hadn't had just told me about it um yeah lots of like uh electronic music artists uh zubotnik um that kind of stuff um and then yeah the mariah audition so there was one uh lessons thing i would you had to take private lessons as part of your curriculum um and uh so one of my private lessons teachers um we didn't work on music the entire term that I was there. He would just tell me industry stories and we'd talk and chat and it was the best thing ever. His name was Henry Brewer. Um, and uh, that was more valuable than any like advanced jazz, harmony, whatever class. He would just tell me industry stories and he'd talk to me about relating to people. Um, he kept me curious. Um, also, when I got the Mariah audition, I, I brought, I came and told him, and I, he was like, okay, we'll play, play what you're gonna play for them, and we had to play some Mariah songs, and um, they were very simple parts on some of these. Um, so I sat down to play it. like super simple. And then you do that for, you know, three and a half minutes. Um, so in my head, I was like, oh, yeah, this is cake. I got this. And he stopped me like two seconds in. He was like, no. Play it again. <laughs> so I well, tried again. Um, and he was like, no, you, you're not feeling it. And again, again, again. Um, so he made me get it until I was like really feeling and understanding this song because my like young, youthful idiot brain was just like, this is super simple. How could I not nail this? You know, 
Um, just play the notes. Really, yeah, just play the notes. Just play the notes. And he really forced me to dig into that. Um, and I think that that's what helped get me the gig was that mental difference. So that's what Did I he, got out of MI. Yeah. Nice. Did he uh, give you sort of like cues about what the song was about or what sort of what yep. sort of a shift did you we talked need? about the lyrics um we talked about um relaxing into the tempo and like the precision and feel of where those those quarter notes and eighth notes land um not like midi quantized tight you know but like listening to the record and seeing where it was laid back ever so and um it was a feel thing for sure so interpretation and feel i think would be what he changed yeah you mentioned uh playing a lot of gigs during that time obviously that gave you a lot of practical experience in, in terms of that but have you have you ever had stage fright and if so mm. you know what did that that time help you sort of get past that or if it was some other time or something else what what helped you figure that out Let's see i i've performed a lot throughout my life i mean even starting when i was like six or seven in like church musical productions as a kid <laughs> um so there was some of that um and uh also my parents are both music teachers retired but uh i was around music performance in some aspect probably uh, my entire childhood um uh so that probably helped and then i played in uh played in um like the worship team at at church we had we did a lot of church as kids <laughs> um uh so i was on stage a lot already and then after that in college i was playing around town with a a jam band and doing jazz casuals um but uh yeah playing in la was definitely different than playing in oregon um and also the rigmarole of being like shoved on stage at uh at like the whiskey and um you got like one minute to set up and deal with this sound guy that hates you and hates your band <laughs> And, you know, this DI is broken. Like those aspects, uh, I definitely got a lot of experience playing around town with those bands, just dealing with like the garbage of handling live music. Yeah. Finding parking, load in. Uh, yeah. Getting like just getting plugged in and being efficient and um, playing for, for crowds that don't care about you or playing with terrible sound, playing, playing when you can't be when you can't hear yourself you know where i just had to like okay well i know he's getting the signal and i know the songs so i just have to imagine what i sound like <laughs> that one is um, super tough like for i'm not tough. a live live player but the the i mean I've, I've done gigs and that was really the thing that kind of uh, i mean maybe one day i'm gonna perform live if there is any you know any opportunity that makes sense but that was a tough one for me because I am so reactive to like oh, yeah. to to the loop of what I'm hearing, and to me, me too, like, man. Yeah, yeah, and it's I'm, I'm yeah, and it's like it's hard. That's that's 
that's like I need that to be connected to the music. And if I don't hear it, or if I hear like a PA mon mono PA, you know, shooting into a you know concrete space oh, somewhere, it's like I I I'm so disconnected from that. Did you okay, did yeah. you find I, like what helped with that? I mean, it's still hard. It's it's hard every time that happens. But I just I I've learned. And I learned over the years that that's just you have to persist. You can't be like, wait, wait, wait. We have to get the sound right. Like, no, you got to drive through. I'm definitely a reactive player in so many ways with composition and with synthesizers. Yeah, I like I'm reacting to it coming back. And that's why, like with those romplers that I had earlier, like if it's a bad sound, I'm I just cannot. I'm I'm not going to play it the same way. I have to, you know, or even a bad synth, synth preset on like a synth I like or something. I'm just like, oh, no. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was it was lessons in well, lessons in humility. Right. It's like this isn't my band. I'm not the artist. Uh, my job is to, you know, persist and. Uh, and play this part, so I'm going to do that yeah yeah you um you you when you talked about the the jazz teacher the the piano uh, piano or the keyboard yeah. teacher you you said something that was i think pretty profound or, or super important in the sense that you were paying attention to what you were seeing like in terms of understanding like yes you are taking piano or keyboard lessons here but you were also looking around you what is what is the teacher doing like understanding that you know this paying attention to what they're doing and yeah. and knowing that that's not what you wanted to aim for is that something like is that and and this is important because a lot of people again you can't really build a career if you don't know what you're aiming for and if you don't understand the yeah, if you don't understand the components at play, it could be that you're aiming for the wrong thing for for many many years, which is again touching on being, for example, a an instrumentalist for, versus being a, a let's say a creative composer or a songwriter or or whatever. Yeah. Is that like a innate skill that you've always had, or is it something you developed, or how did you think that sort of um, came about maybe through oh the experiences of your of your life like what what shaped you to, <laughs> to be sort of observant in in that way or analytical mm. analytical yeah i don't want to give myself any credit i don't feel like i'm always super observant but yeah i definitely i picked it up you know um yeah i mean it's the same thing i'm sure you've heard it like you have to be careful who you take advice from, you know, or consider who is giving you advice. Like, do you want, is the, is the person giving that advice? Like, do you value what they are saying and doing? And, and I don't, uh, Randy, who's the pianist, he's, I love him to death. He's, I respect him and he was a mentor. He, I mean, he is, he's just a fantastic person, but yeah, I, I definitely looked around at, what he was doing to, to, you know, for his career and his version of success. And it's not, I, I figured out that that's not what I wanted. Um, so 
yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm particularly observant, but, um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you still, um, paid, still, uh, paid yeah. attention. <laughs> yeah. Still paid attention to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, I think that's a great piece of, um, advice too. Like it's often many people say that if you want to, uh, you know, find somebody who, whose life looks the way you want to, mm. you want to have your life be, and then look at the things that they do. That's super, super important because it, it isn't by chance, not to say that they didn't have luck or all kinds of other advantages that you don't have access to, but still, you know, find somebody who, who leads a life that, that you want to have, or you could have obviously multiple people because maybe somebody has a personal life that you would want to have. And maybe another person has a professional life that you would want to have. And maybe mm -hmm. somebody has like a health state of health that you you'd want to see. So maybe, you know, uh, look at what they're doing and learn from each and, uh, try and try and emulate that. Try, Yeah. Uh, take the yeah. little pieces. Yeah. Even um, when, when it seems like it doesn't make sense because there's a lot to be learned just through doing, and then you begin to see why certain things work and certain things don't. Yeah, definitely. I, the, the, the one caveat to that I'll give is sometimes there's been periods where I've, I've tried to model after certain people too much <laughs> and then, um, and then, yeah, it would, it was, it was taking away from, from my potential, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, like, oh, I want to be like this person I idolize. Um, and then learning that, uh, my life and my path is, you know, has to be my own. So, but yes, yeah. certainly. Yeah. Looking around and, and seeing what, what kind of life you want to build and, uh, how to go about it. That was, uh, definitely moving away from like jazz and, and like more cerebral instrumental music. I was observing that the, the songs and music that I would scream to my dashboard as I'm like driving around Oregon, um, I was working construction in summers, um, and yeah, just blasting like, you know, rock music, pop music. <laughs> I, I was realizing that that was speaking to me. I wasn't, you know, like Freddie Hubbard or, or, um, you go into order. Oh, oh, now they, it came back. It came back. We lost oh, okay. the, just for a second audio. Sorry. The like uh, the guys I was supposed to listen to in in jazz college and stuff, you know, those weren't the ones that I was going like, oh, ah, this is so good. Like, and they're amazing, you know, they're legendary. But it was like, what's the stuff that I'm like blasting when I'm driving home from a friend's house or something? It was it was pop music or rock rock music or um uh like um scores like that that kind of stuff that spoke to me. And it still does to me. That's the kind of music I'm in. It's like I'm, I'm in the pop music world, and and I love scoring stuff as well. And if I can like try and meld those together somehow, that's I love that. And I and I love EDM music too. It's like all, all those things. Those are the ones that speak to me. Not um, you know, not Giant Steps. Um, so yeah, I I hung up my jazz hat. Um for yeah the observing my teacher and also observing myself and my emotional reaction you know like um 
what was it? It was Hans Zimmer's The Last Samurai soundtrack. That's like 2002 or something like that. Man, I would blast that thing. <laughs> and it's it's so simple, you know, it's these big, simple chords, diatonic, but like the emotion behind them in some of the sections of that soundtrack were just, it would just light me up. So like that sound and um and and then all the pop music and stuff i liked those were those were the things that spoke to me so yeah i think i think that's when i said to hell with jazz (laughs) (laughs) no and that's not against anybody who likes jazz you know or loves jazz i like jazz but yeah it's not my path so yeah and uh, that's also a, a good example of like sometimes people ask me what what they're supposed to be doing and is this the right thing and i just like you have to be honest with yourself in terms of what you like and what you don't Uh, a lot of people have especially in music there can be a lot of like people can be very concerned about what they should be liking or shouldn't be liking it's a very like um i don't maybe I, i can't come up with a word for that maybe you you know what I'm talking about. We're always about. parsing ourselves or, or criticizing ourselves. Well, that's also, saying? but like like music has very strong uh, like social status elements as well. Like people, yes, and 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 also intellectual components when it comes to musicians because they think they're they need to like music that is complex and convoluted and intellectually, yeah. uh, you know, uh, stimulating or complex. Oh, yeah. I've but spent a lot of decades listening to music I thought I was supposed to like. <laughs> same, same thing, same yeah, thing, right? and and all the time you just you're just fighting this like emotional dissonance. You're like, uh-huh. I don't feel it. You know? Nope. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I know it's I know it's very skillfully done, but it's I don't care for this kind of music. I don't. So yeah. So I, I always say am. like you know stay <laughs> stay true to your emotions and and do the thing you want to do like that's the only way you're going to be putting enough effort into this and you know enough trouble uh so yeah Yeah. it's just honesty with yourself and you know (laughs) are you gonna are you gonna have a a life where you play something you really don't like and maybe see greater success or would you rather have some success and do the thing you want to do you know it's Mm -hmm. I don't know. I can't make the choice for for other people, but but uh, it's it's make really, their choices. Yeah, you I, um, uh, go ahead. No, I was going to touch on when you when you said that that you emulated some people, and maybe in hindsight you realized you you didn't you didn't want the same things as they mm-hmm. they had. But uh, I also think there's an important lesson there because it's impossible to know something until you you live it like you you emulated these people and you sort of went beyond your threshold of what you found to be valid about that path but you you don't find that line until you cross it like it's sometimes right. it's it's very difficult to theorize about okay i'm going to take this component from there and this from there sometimes you have to live it and then you're going to go beyond what you uh what you want to incorporate for yourself and you just have to cross boundaries a lot of a lot of the time which is what i love to do because unless you cross it you don't really know where it is Mm, certainly yeah it i had to step into the room 
several steps before I, you know, could look around and be like, okay, this is not for me. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 You mentioned your, your, your parents were music teachers. Yes. My so, father was middle school band teacher and my mother's grade school music teacher. So. Okay. So you were probably very encouraged always to, were, were you sort of pushed into music or was it something you innately wanted to do? Funny. Uh, I was pushed. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I was having this discussion with my wife about, um, our son, Jack, who's six, he, uh, we've started him on piano lessons. Um, cause you know, that's music's part of our life. So, you know, just, we want to start him on that. And of course he doesn't want to do it, you know, um, which at six, I didn't either. So, <laughs> uh, my parents kept me up with piano lessons and, uh, I, I remember that I just, I just did it cause I had to for, until I was about 12 or 13, that's when I had, I remember then there was an, an aha moment where I started playing for myself and then the, the self-drive started. But, um, I think about like, well, what if I had quit any time from age six to 12, which, you know, is when most people quit piano lessons or whatever, if they start for a little bit. Um, and thank goodness they, they stuck me through it even when I didn't want to do it. You know, it's kind of funny, but, um, of course I can say that having a, a career in this, but you know, if I hadn't, then maybe I wouldn't be reflecting on being forced to do something so fondly. Um, yeah. but yeah, there was a, a point where I, uh, started, uh, there was a rock and roll classics book or something. And I started playing it for myself and enjoying it for myself and staying up late and playing it for myself. Um, and that was that was the shift into like oh well now i want to do this so um i was certainly surrounded by music um with my parents but yeah yeah i think that um i'm i'm not at that phase yet obviously but i think uh, as a as a parent you're probably trying to try and find the right thing like make the right call and do it perfectly but maybe it's like maybe it's more important that that it's about teaching principles like you, you're not trying to find maybe the perfect instrument or hobby for your kid but mm -hmm. rather teach them persistence yes and and you know working and learning and discipline and focus and all kinds of things and you know I, yeah. I i mean i would presume they let you know at some point if if they um because like i was in a in a choir for nine years like i i started when i was six and oh. then sang through all the different voices until i got to the bass and nice i and, knew you were a bass <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah pretty much uh, i can go pretty low pretty low but uh it's uh yeah i didn't uh i didn't love it i sometimes we sang certain music that was fantastic and i loved mm -hmm. that but the social aspect of it a lot of the time there was some bullying there not for me uh, directly but like uh -huh. the 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 social landscape was a bit um like tedious and and at times kind of even dark and so it wasn't uh, it wasn't always like that a lot of the time it was a lot of fun but that was definitely pretty pretty heavy and but 
I mean, now looking back in hindsight, I wouldn't trade that for anything because that taught me harmony in a way that I probably could have never taught to myself because you're seeing all the same songs throughout all the years, but in different voices like soprano, alto, tenor, bass. So you learn all all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it was, you know, counterpoint and, uh, we sang a lot of Bach and, uh, or Bach. I don't know how you pronounce it in the, in the U S but no, that's good. Yeah, but the, I mean, it was contrapuntal stuff. That's that's awesome. Like uh, the choirs I was in, we did not sing, uh, you know, cool stuff like that. It was hokey stuff. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit different. Uh, yeah, that's uh, great. The American gospel style, but yeah, uh, but um, yeah. So it's 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 as a parent probably very difficult to know what the right call is you make you make mm-hmm. your best judgment and then you try and focus on the the lessons they can uh, you know uh, abstract and put into anything that they do in life and then you know again stay honest to themselves and because maybe they're going to play piano for x amount of years and then realize they love drums or something and right. that's again that's a lesson you can only learn by going through going through the, it right the first thing just like but, yeah the, uh emulating somebody too hard <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah you gotta go through it yeah yeah oh and that, i was gonna ask sorry go ahead no no go ahead. Uh, i was i was listening to your albums uh as i was familiarizing myself with you more thoroughly uh the other day lifting weights listening to to marcus uh were you singing <laughs> on some of those things um it depends think, uh, on what you were listening to i uh, i think it was so the, it, the sci-fi one i think that was more female voices but oh yeah you say if it's the orchestral stuff that's that's all sample libraries okay so I, i've done singing for more like um it, it's more like uh not songwriting stuff but up uh, you know clearly vocal vocal like lyric lyric uh, based okay. stuff but all the the orchestral cinematic stuff is just sample libraries Gotcha. I wondered if maybe you had snuck a few bass takes in there or something. <laughs> uh, to be honest, like I don't probably have a huge drive to do that. Like uh, for me, it's more about just composing the music and and you know finding the right right sound. I don't have a huge. I, I I'd say more in the the songwriting front. I have an urge to to sing, but in terms of if I were to just lay down some choir bass lines or something not motivated just for that. Pro- probably a library that does it better than does it than <laughs> yeah it's all mic'd <laughs> or, up or, already yeah, yeah less work definitely uh-huh. so for sure yeah. i mean i do the same thing i have a hammond organ back there you know vintage and most of the time i'm like yeah this plug-in is mm-hmm. what serves the purpose i'm not gonna mic up the leslie forget it you know i have the real deal that i've spent thousands of dollars on i love playing it but you know middle of a session it's like nope bb3 yep. will be fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's yeah. that's my entire workflow i mean everything i have is on a desk like this is a standing desk i usually stand when i'm working mm. um you can take it up and down but it like nice. everything is on this desk like every all of my musical pieces of uh, equipment and it's all like i love software because it, it you can it's it's gone and it's here like in an instant so i don't need to set up anything and yeah. Um, it's yeah, I love that 
speed. I agree. I'm trying to uh I'm trying to trim the fat slowly of my hardware obsession, but um I guess this would new be ones good... keep coming in. <laughs> yeah, I can I can imagine. Uh I, I guess this is a good uh moment to get synth nerdy a bit. Uh, because I know some people are going to yell at me if I don't ask don't you talk about... about synthesizers. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If um, um, I know this is probably not like a, necessarily a, a question you can answer, but but if you can answer it, um, what's your favorite analog synth? If you have oh. to, well, it's bring definitely it down a sequential for sure. Yeah, I have no shame about saying sequential. Um, Let's see. Well, there's my Prophet 6, which um, they came out with in 2015. I worked on that one. Um, I've worked on the sequential ones since 2013 or so. So there's a, a little like soul investment in each of theirs. Um, that, that's why I have them all around here. <laughs> but um, yeah, that one's kind of extra special. Um, I use it a lot. It's the, I, I use a lot of plugins, obviously. I mean, some virtual, I don't know, 80% of the time. And then, um, I'll start throwing a synth over the top, you know, just for like a little extra sauce or for a little hands-on and it'll usually be the profit six. I'll just, I just gravitate towards it for some reason. Um, that and my modular, um, which is like a sandbox that, um, I cannot recreate in software. Me personally, I know there's VCV rack. I know there's Reaper. I know there's all that stuff, but I just can't like this. I've tried to go digital with that stuff and I can't. So this is my like, oh, you can't see it over here, but my uh, peak of a module spaghetti, over there. Spaghetti monster. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. That's another favorite just because it surprises because, um, I mean, I use so much contact and, uh, you know, Yuhi, Diva, Zebra, Hive. Those are like my virtual workhorses. Um, so when I, when I want a little like something unexpected, that's when I go to the modular. Um, and then, um, let's see. Yeah. Prophet six. And then the Theravox, um, over here, which is a, I don't know if you can see that, but there's a string there. Yeah. Yeah. That one's very unique. I love that one. Um it's like a modern So is it kind of like uh, yeah. 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 Uh and um I don't know if this will come through the mic but Nope. It's not plugged in. Okay. Um but yeah, it's got the string and you have these dampers that you press down for expression. Uh, so there's no like set envelopes like a traditional synth. You, it's a pressure pad that is volume in and out, like a voice or like a vo like a violin bowing intensity, you know, like like that, and then a fluid string that goes over uh, notes. So there's no there's no keys, and so it's it's very vocal or very stringy um, in expression. Um, the engine is. An analog synth it's a two it's a two oscillator analog synth with a filter but um just having that different interface for you to react with uh makes something so simple a saw wave sound totally different um 
So that one's really special to me. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that instrument. It's super, super unique. It's been on, uh, you probably saw that on some Strymon stuff too. I, <laughs> whenever they ask for a demo, I like to throw oh. the Theravox on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you were going to point, uh, to the right of you. Oh, uh, well, just, uh, thinking about synthesizers, I guess. Um, yeah, I have, so I've worked on all these sequentials and I've worked with some other brands. I've worked with Moog music. There's a Moog one over here, 16 voice, which is their like nice. super flagship. mega flagship. Um, and, um, there's an ovation over there that I worked on and yeah, profit five pro three, all this stuff. But yeah, my favorites, it's funny when I think about that, it's, I end up using what's closest to me most of the time. Um, like physically, um, and I've thought about this over the years, um, because, you know, we can, you can dive into specs and, um, all that stuff. Um, but like what has mattered to me is just what I use, like what's the synth I use and not, not like what's the best or what has the the most analog filter and stuff. I used to be obsessive about that stuff, like analog purism. And, um, and I just realized I don't care. I don't have the time. Like what, what speaks to me in the same way that we were talking about the music, you know, like I'm supposed to like this, I'm supposed to like this synth or this filter or this oscillator for this cerebral reason, but it just doesn't speak to me. And the ones that do are the ones I use. So, um, of course, we all have different opinions on that, just like our music taste. So, like, yeah. I've got this. Uh, I worked on the Moog one. It's a big, beautiful synth. It's like 10 grand US, you know. It's the cream of the crop. It's amazing. It's got all the features, and I just don't use it that much. <laughs> it looks beautiful, but um, compared to like my Prophet 6, which I think was. When it came out first, they had to raise prices uh, during the pandemic, but it was like twenty six hundred um, to compare. Um, it doesn't have all the features and all the stuff. It's got less keys. The keys are not nearly as nice as the Moog one. The Moog one has immaculate keys, beautiful woodwork. The Prophet Six does not. <laughs> um, but I use the Prophet Six all the time because it just like barks the way I want it to. It's got an awesome distortion knob right there that i just rear um so yeah i've i've thought about that with my massive of hardware and gear and what comes and what goes and what i end up using and yeah just the ones that speak to me and the ones that are you know close to my physical proximity are the ones that i bother to record otherwise you know i do it in the box so yeah well, it's, it's super easy to get caught up in all kinds of satellite oh, yeah. themes that don't really have anything to do with the experience the, the listener has when they press play and listen to a piece of yeah. music. Like they Not don't, a bit. most people don't care what you used. I mean, they don't j just don't care at all. And even the people who do care about some of that stuff, it's still not even second secondary, but like way down uh, in terms of what you used to get, yeah. you know, get those sounds. So it's, and, and that can be tough because I love music. 
technology. I studied music technology. It's like you love that stuff and you can get I love lost music in technology. It. Right. Yeah. 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 You can get lost in it and caught up in things that don't have any, well, I shouldn't say any, but the, the direct significance in terms of whether this were, will result in a piece of music that people want to listen to or that yeah. you want to, you know, create. Sometimes the, it, the relationship can be very removed. Um, so, and I've certainly spent a, uh, wasted a lot of time and, and resources getting something that didn't ultimately oh, serve that purpose. And this is what, what my setup is all about today. Everything is software. Everything is on this desk and everything can come and go on the screen which allows me to re remove myself from the the perpetual you know gear lust and and all of those oh, things yeah. it's which can... it's it's real <laughs> yeah yeah i um i was thinking uh when i kind of started to understand that years ago and switch from my like synth fetishism to um extreme pragmatism which is where i've been for the last several years um <clears throat> i've i've music directed uh, a lot of bands and been in a lot of bands as like the the band leader or the the music director usually like talks to the artist uh or is like the, he's um they're the the key between like the the band hired guns and the artist or the creative director or something you know the the bridge because the artists don't usually speak band or don't speak tech gear whatever you know that's not that's not their job or the or the creative director or the show director or whatever um you know like you said they they don't experience it like that um they're just experiencing music so um part of that is translating messages between the two and i remember early on as a as a player um when i was first starting to like direct between artist and band being in the band learning about the things that they do not care about <laughs> you know as i'm obsessing about specs and tech and uh trying to you know the things that i valued like oh you know it needs to be a hall verb with this much blah 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 it's, they don't care it's um learning that language of um you know what they're feeling and and what they're trying to actually find um and and letting letting all that music tech and whatever that lives in my head help solve that problem but um yeah being very pragmatic about it um that was yeah. that was a, a bit of a journey um it's definitely that, one of those um uh, <laughs> definitely one of those uh well i mean first of all uh, one of the things that really frustrate frustrates me is, uh, um, when, when you, if, if, and when you call yourself an engineer, normal people are going to look uh -huh. at you and laugh. They're like, what the, f you do music. Like, right. <laughs> don't, don't think you're an engineer. It's like, you're not an engineer. They have, yeah. yeah. They have no idea about the levels that go into this stuff right. and, and like like audio theory going to synthesis music production like i i understand why this 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 uh image persists because fair enough like they they know the you know bedroom producer who is you know just twiddling knobs in their bedroom yeah and and it, it there isn't like it's very difficult to 
first of all, that that stereotype exists, and that's granted not very technical, probably. Um, and it's possible to make music with very little sort of technical knowledge in terms of you know discussing it at, at a sort of an engineering level. It's entirely possible to be sort of quite intuitive, intuitive, and respond to what you're hearing and develop the skills through that. But but it's also possible to talk about this stuff at a at a very very technical level uh obviously you can go into the whole designing of these different effects processors and synths etc which is far more technical than what you know i for example do but if you are like uh like a, let's say a mixing engineer or uh, or a music producer at a higher level then there's a, there's a lot of technical stuff that you need to yeah know to make that happen and it's it it just frustrates me when people uh i mean they have z zero chance of understanding that uh so they're not gonna take you seriously as an engineer compared to let's say somebody who designs el electronics or bridges or right. something they're like real engineer it's also yeah. not their job to understand right no I mean, yep yeah. yep <laughs> yeah uh, I don't know. I, I had a second point to this, which I now forgot. But uh, <laughs> did I railroad that? Sorry. I, I think I did. I, okay. <laughs> I, I did that myself. But yeah, I mean, but on top of that, of understanding the technicalities, now you need to redress the language so that, like you said, you need to communicate that to the people you're collaborating yeah. with. And that's a whole different skill set. A whole different layer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, it's it's tough and sometimes it's hard to like figure out what that is you know i mean in the like directors to composers with media that's that's a whole thing you know sometimes they'll use the wrong words well not the wrong words but words that you think mean something else you know i don't know how many times i've heard like it's too bright or something and and they don't actually mean that it's too bright they they mean that yeah. something jumped out too much or something or it has nothing to do with what you and I would assume is brightness as far as tone. Um, it might be an emotion or something. Um, and also that's the same sense with, um, doing, uh, like working on these synths with the, the actual engineers that sequential, you know, like the guys that actually do electronics and program, uh, like coding, you know, um, I'm just a, I'm just a musician. So, um, it's funny when I find myself in the position where I'm like, it doesn't, they'll be explaining why it doesn't do a certain thing or why this reacts a certain way. And I'm like, well, why is it doing that? I don't care. Like, can it, can it do this other thing? <laughs> yeah. So basically the same exact situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Except I'm the schmuck that time. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it just, edifies the point to me of like yeah the point is how you relate to those other people I mean, it's like the bands we were talking about earlier yeah it's not it's not the other person's job to know how to do what i do or what you do like they don't need to know how to dig around in a daw and route contact and this controller isn't syncing with this whatever tempo grid and blah 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 it doesn't matter <laughs> it's not their yep. job um and I've, I've learned that slowly over the years and i learn it a little bit more each year <laughs> yep 
when it comes to the the collaborations you've done with all these companies like sequential and uh strymon how did i mean you could pick like one or maybe give some general uh i don't know examples of how that how those came to be maybe choosing one is more reasonable time wise oh, but <laughs> all the all the ones all the relationships i've had um which i love having because we love music technology i just hit them up uh years ago um and was just like all the ones that took uh were the ones where i was like i love your stuff um i would like to get to know you guys better and um because i remember early on in school there's the nam show here and uh like people were trying to figure out how to get free gear you know it's like you're trying to figure out how to get endorsed or whatever um and i remember i got back from a mariah tour and i remember i was like sweet now i'm now i've got a big credit i'm hot stuff right now i can go get some free stuff and uh it did not work none of that worked none of that took all of those fell flat it's like <laughs> which you know just as well like that's how that should have gone is you know some keyboardist comes up and he's like hey i'm important give me stuff you know that's not that's it's not like how it works. what do you what do you mean you're not sending me this five grand uh exactly. piece of hardware so like with strymon uh uh i just hit him up and i was like i love your stuff um i have i have an el capistan i made a video with it this i mean this is now there's youtube everything of this stuff but this is early on and i i was like i play keyboards and uh i love this pedal and uh i made this video and then they put it out uh and then they sent me another pedal and asked if i'd make it make demos with keyboards because nobody was making demos with keyboards on strymons um so it was like a very natural relationship of like we like you you like me you know let's help each other um and um yeah then we made a video with the big sky which it's funny those guys they say that's still like the most watched video they have of like all time and i i know people that know me first from that video <laughs> you're <laughs> the, you're the strymon guy yeah you're the stry you're the you did yeah. the synth thing with the big sky um and i bought a strymon because of you or whatever and so even Pete at Strymon was like, yeah, like that video. So, um, and that, yeah, it bloomed out of like, I loved the gear and I wanted to do stuff with it. I was never like shilling anything. Um, I, I use all that gear, you know, and then sequential was the same thing. It was, um, 2009 and, um, I was using, um, I, the band I was in, van hunt it was 2007 that's what it was uh had a poly evolver which was their early synth and so van had me play it i didn't own it um because it was expensive synth and um so i he made me learn it for the the show and it was a really complicated synth um and after that i hit up sequential and was like hey i've i've used this synth i love using your stuff i would love to buy one for myself um I'd love to get to know you guys. And um, they gave me a break, like on my first 
buy from them. It was a profit 08. And uh, we kept up with each other, started going, you know, I'd invite them to shows when I was in town. Um, and that bloomed into uh, friendships and dear friendships. Um, and then they started asking me to like for opinions on things on some of their upcoming synths. And then they started having me beta test some of the stuff and make a presets. I've made, I don't know, like a thousand presets for sequential factory synths, you know, over the years, um, like became part of the trusted team, not because I was like digging for something, but it was a very natural evolution of, of friendship and mutual, um, love of, of the instruments. So, yeah yeah i think that's a good good starting point like um it's you want to you want to do something that you would want to naturally do instead of trying to you know make some kind of strategic business move happen it's just do the stuff you want to do and maybe it yeah. resonates with with uh, the other party um trying to it's all natural yeah <laughs> um i i always ask uh, this thing about sort of creative creative retainment i guess so this is my theory of creative people basically keeping the flame alive keeping the spark alive from their childhood going into adulthood like they mm. somehow manage to not let the world crush their uh creative inspiration yeah. so it is if that if you find that to be true in your case, how did you sort of, was there a, a central thing that allowed you to retain that, that creativity throughout growing up? Throughout, throughout growing up or throughout like career? Uh, or, well, I mean, both, but I mean, well, going okay. from, going from childhood into adulthood, because usually somewhere in between there, it gets lost. Yeah, you get crushed mm. by life and you lose oh, faith. Man. Or I've definitely been crushed by tours and bad business deals and screwed over and you know, I mean, everybody does in this biz uh, that have squashed me um, at times. And uh, yeah, but I've I've always been able to like come back from it. Um, in terms of your childhood, like um, going from being a kid into moving into adulthood was that something yeah. like because for a lot of people creativity is sort of the the one thing that sustains throughout that I, whole oh i would agree yeah definitely creativity uh because otherwise yeah if when the realities of it are bleak or you know crushing um especially like early on when i was wasn't getting paid for anything and was just hustling and trying to play everywhere and do everything i would love a music for sure that kept everything going otherwise i would have quit eons ago right you know like when uh yeah when you don't get paid for something or or something goes wrong something breaks um love of music love of the craft is what persists uh play is a big one for me as i sit here in this room full of things i play on um, I know I was ragging on the Moog one a second ago, but I was playing it the other day just for, for fun, um, which I hadn't done in a while. And 
I, that's happened many times with different things where I'll get into a work mode for a while and, uh, you know, be executing and be all biz. And then I'll have some sort of comeback, uh, realization of, of play that helps like kind of remind me why I, why you do all the stuff and you tolerate all the stuff. And, um, it's hard, you know, when everything's so business focused, but like, yeah, I, I turned it on and I wasn't going to record anything. I wasn't going to, you know, try and make a track or anything. It was just like, just play and fiddle around with the sounds and do some like exploration for your sake. And I do that with the modular all the time too. That I'll uh, make something that goes nowhere. The express purpose of going nowhere. I think that's the important part because as soon as I try to make it go somewhere, you know, or turn it into a business thing, then it's not, it's not as fun anymore in those moments. So keeping the sandbox is uh, important to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think play is huge because that's what kind of revivifies yeah. your contract with life. And that's why it's awesome to look at your kids because they're just, they don't see things <clears throat> from this sort of fixed perspective of what am I going to, well, it depends on the age, but <laughs> what am I going <laughs> to get out of this? And, you know, just, yeah. we have these mega blocks they're called that, that our our kid plays with and he has no like he doesn't have a concept of i'm gonna build this thing he just picks them up and begins to build with them and he sees like a connection somewhere and he's just gonna plonk it down somewhere and it's super uh, interesting to look at him and you know makes you ask you know why do i do certain things and yeah. you know what am i Pure seeing creation right he's he's creating without any boundary between yeah and that block yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there, there is no like intent beyond. He's not trying to. He's not trying to build the like angle a, on it, like a house yeah, which, with them, or uh, it's just like you just look at him and he's like playing with them, and it's it's very, very pure. I've had that with my. Uh, I've had that with business relationships too. When I try to force musical friendships, you know, through some calculated whatever, those don't usually pan out. It's the 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 homies are the ones that you know are like real with each other. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it like sounds this, very. Marcus, so. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds like very cliche, but it it it's the it's the the truth and the the honesty that means something, you know. And it's it's really the one of the main things I can recommend for people, like be real do the things that interest you and you know bring it from from a place that is true to you otherwise it's, it doesn't mean anything to you and then who cares what it turns into yeah i'm gonna ask uh, my final two questions here because we're nearing the three hour mark here but uh i always ask what is your definition of an artist Oh boy. I know it's a bit of a <laughs> can be a bit of a tough question. But it, you know essential. <laughs> yes, can be. Um well, somebody who creates for the joy of creating, I guess. Yeah. 
um as we were just saying yeah yeah like your son um is that you have your son no or do you have a daughter oh <laughs> uh, yeah son son okay yeah. yeah playing with the blocks yeah the yep. the creating for the joy of of bringing something into fruition just for itself not for um business or or social gain um to me that would be an artist yeah that's super interesting because it that's a reoccurring i think that's the third time some somebody ah. says that but it's it's wonderful um i think uh chris child who who does music under this uh Podomo name i think he basically used the same words okay. i think but it's yeah i love i love that and it's it's like um reminder for myself of like to to try and center myself into you know who and what i am and why i i do this mm. <laughs> because you obviously trying to make this into a, a career means that you have to think about it from a maybe a more cerebral place and try and strategize and you know turn turn this into you know money somehow but yeah. um well it's got a bit of irony i guess in in it uh in that i'm like if i look at the list of people i've worked for you know my living in music is off of people that make you know i make money from from these people but i have i feel like i have my artistry within that so a lot of this is you know commercial music so um it it's selling something you know it's selling a song it's selling a product but i still feel like when i'm there's still a piece of creativity within there for me when i'm when i'm enjoying it that is is that that bringing to fruition feeling of creation that that feels like the artistry within that yeah um well that's precisely what what i yeah what i said when we started it's like you do these uh, like you play an instrument at, at a top level, uh, you're you know playing a very important practical part in all of these things. But but like I said, it's clear that you inject creativity into what you do, and it's you know seeking to do something deeper other than just you know play notes. <laughs> you know, mm, yeah. inject some purpose and emotion and, and meaning into it. And like I said, like watching your demos the reason why they are so liked isn't that you press the right <laughs> keys and twiddle the nose but there's like clearly like you're looking at a process of somebody creating mm -hmm. and that's why it speaks to people because that's what they want to do and when they see you do that they see themselves do that they see themselves in that as well and that's why they're going to buy a big sky and <laughs> that's yeah <laughs> so that's good that's a yeah. good that's that's a nice way to put it that's good uh last question if you could instantaneously send a message to everybody's smartphone uh in the world everybody who has one wow. it pops up on the 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 front screen of it and they so they have to look at it before they open their phone <laughs> you can send like a message or or whatever you want onto everybody's smartphone what would you send boy i mean that's a 
That's, and you can go other than existential than that. Yeah. <laughs> other than, and also other than promoting your music. <laughs> other or, than promoting your album. Yeah, it just yeah. says peterdyer.com. Yeah, peterdyer.net. Uh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah I couldn't if, get .com. It was only .net. So. Oh. Is there um, a Peter Dyer out there? Uh, there, there is a, with, a British a .com. photographer, I think. But, oh. um, well, luckily, all right, I can in, live with that. The, I pop yeah. up first on the Google search, so I, I'm okay with it. Yeah, justifiably uh, so. Just thanks. <laughs> Let's see, what would I say? Um, these can wait. be a bit, a bit tough. I'd so freak you out could... a lot of people, but it would be, it'd be some form of a memento mori, I guess. Um my my grandfather i have two dead pocket watches on my shelf um from the two sides of my family um and i i see them as funny reminders unintentional funny reminders from my grandfathers that you only have so much time um so yeah uh memento mori remember you must die <laughs> that'll freak out the teenagers uh but um yeah it's a, i think that's a, a valuable sentiment uh whether it's artistry or what you choose to spend your time doing you know there's a finite amount so do something you you give a heck about yeah it's one of those things where again you don't want to wait for the trauma to happen before you realize it it's probably going to be that way but if we can you know save a few people from from that, that yeah then that's a that's a worthwhile thing to do because i certainly woke up to the reality of the situation before i had a heart attack or multiple heart attacks actually but yeah. it's um because i for years i had those health issues and i still do so I knew something was off and I was like, okay, I don't know where this is going, but you, yeah, you definitely want to try and simulate the um, circumstances or, or, or gain the understanding or the wisdom before it, before it happens. Yeah. And, and that kind of reminds me of like, uh, I don't know if you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, who is kind of like a business guy, but he is some, somebody, is Gary v? yeah, Gary V. Yeah. Yeah. yeah somebody, yeah, yeah. somebody was like, uh, stopping him on the street and asking Gary, please give me three inspir inspirational words. And he said, you're going to die. <laughs> she, <laughs> she, exactly. Yeah. She See? was, she was so, uh, oh shocked because she was looking for like something bubbly and yeah. sparkly and nice. And then he was like, yep. Like if that I, doesn't motivate you, then. I don't, I don't think know. it has to be bubbly either. Uh, mm. To That's what I've learned is. I mean, that's the one I stuck on my other arm. It's the the reminder. It doesn't have to be death and, and destruction from a, a sad point. It's like, well, if this is it, then yeah, then then that's it, you know, and get to it. Um, as opposed to from a point of fear, um, you know, coming from a, from a point of strength. Uh, back to anti-fragility, right? <laughs> yes, I was going to say that's the same yeah. concept as what happened with you in terms of the you know, nobody's coming to save you stuff. Nobody's like, coming. At, at first, if you haven't <clears throat> confronted 
death much, then you know you're going to be afraid of it. But once you spend time with it, you understand it, you begin to acclimate to it, and you acknowledge and accept and confront it, and then it becomes an empowering thing. Obviously, not a not a joyful thing to think about necessarily, but still empowering. Yeah, yeah, you know it's true, and good things can come out of that darkness because you know it's coming. So why not spend this time doing something amazing and great yeah cool well well it's been first of all it's been a pleasure to get to know you a bit i've been following for you for uh, quite a while so it's awesome to actually you know sit down and talk with you and uh, good to speak with you likewise likewise yeah i did most of the speaking uh so i think you got to know me better than i got to know you but that's all right (laughs) that's how it's supposed to be that's how it's supposed to work on this i guess yeah absolutely i was enjoying your your pirate album uh i can't remember the name of it as i was yeah lifting the other day oh yeah Uh, dead reckoning dead reckoning that was the one yeah yeah cool nice well i'm hope i'm i'm trying to get this uh soundtrack done for this video game so it it is i think I mean, anything I've done in the past seems very not not as you know high of a level, but that's that's the way you you always feel, and that's you're supposed right? to, yeah, and you're supposed to feel that way, um, of course. So, but it's I, I have not feel that way. <laughs> yes, yes, it's a good thing to to look at your past work and think like, mm. <laughs> better <that's>, now. <laughs> yeah, it's a good sign. It's a good sign. Yeah. But uh, it's I haven't been putting music out for a while now, so it's. It's about time to get something out this year. Yeah. Good, man. I have, I noticed a funny thing. The cloud lifter, which had never been unplugged. I drastically unplugged it to solve our interface issue. And here we are without it. So there we go. Maybe you don't need one. Yeah. Maybe it's all fine. We came full (laughs) full circle. We came full circle. Yeah. The snake oil here. So, yeah. (laughs) Nice. Maybe we'll do the next one with the, cloud lifter and with the cloud lifter yeah we can compare uh tones (laughs) yep cool well again thanks for uh taking the the time to do this and it was a pleasure to get to know you a bit and uh uh, i wish you nothing but the best with uh all the stuff you you've got going which is a lot (laughs) you too man you too thank you cool yeah see you later see ya Bye. bye bye